episode 18 of the Melbourne Flow podcast. I'm excited to have Glenn Flood on this potty. Don't want to give too much away, but this man has worked with the likes of Jamie Oliver, Toby Puddock. He's also rubbed shoulders with Gordon Ramsay and Heston Blumenthal, and he was involved with the recruitment of the judges of MasterChef. Now, Glenn, on top of being a culinary mastermind, is also a very motivational man with a good vibe, which translates into his work as a developmental coach. Now, the first 30 seconds of this podcast uh, were a bit patchy, so bear with me. Um, Once you get through it, the sound gets a lot better. This podcast is brought to you by Studio 3 Australia, which is the best yoga studio here in Melbourne. They've got two locations, one in Mini Ponds, one in Yarraville. They've got hot yoga, aerial yoga, Pilates, hot Pilates. They also, from time to time, do dog yoga. And I'm pretty sure at one stage they had yoga with wine or some sort of drinking, which is always fun. Anyway, Studio 3 Australia for all your yoga needs. And they sell a bunch of cool shit as well in store. Anyways, this is episode 18 of the Melbourne Flow podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Did you always want to be a chef or, and how, and how did you get into competitive cooking? What did that look like? Sure, sure. Wow. Trip down memory lane. Yeah. Um, so did I always want to be a chef? No. Um, what I, I finished, um, I finished high school. Um, I got it in a, and I got it, I think I got some pretty decent marks and uh, yeah. got in doing a bachelor, bachelor of economics at the, um, I think it was University of New South Wales. But it wasn't something I was passionate about, so yeah. I thought, well, let's see what what else things can uh, what else can come out of out of this. And uh, it was a, I had a friend that was working at a small hotel in the city in Kings Cross, actually. Yeah. And he just said, look, you know, why don't you come and give us a hand? I'm looking for a concierge, and come and earn some cash. So, and my, how old were you? Uh, this would have been I would have been 18. Yeah, would have been 18, just straight out of school. Actually, maybe even just a flick under 18 would have been late, you know, yeah. 17, just heading in, in about that time frame. And um, so you pretty much just said, come to work with me. And then I just kicked off. And the interesting thing was going from school to earning a full-time pay packet. All of a sudden, you're thinking, oh, wow, hang on a second. I made it at 18. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. And um, the... The, I'm a people person, so yeah. you know, I, doing graveyards in the in the hotel um, to you know up doing the breakfast service, helping out at lunch, helping in the restaurant, and so as a sort of a concierge, you're doing all different types of things through the hotel. Yeah, and um, you know the cooking sort of story. I was always sort of drawn back through the kitchen, and it probably started when I was cooking the room service meals overnight. Yeah. And the, so the chefs had to show me a few things, and there was there was this lovely young. Um, she was the restaurant manager, but also a brekkie chef, Athena, and she sort of took me under her wing and showed me how to help her make the breakfast uh, menu in the, yeah. in the in the in the hotel. So once I'm doing the preparation, getting involved, I'm thinking, oh, this is handy skills to know. Yeah. But it was the chefs always seemed to be having fun. So in a hotel, when you're back of house, you're going forward and back. The chefs yeah. were, you know, half cut mad. Always just crazy, crazy shit going on, but they seem to be having a good time. Yeah. So when it was time for me to move on from the from the hotel, um, I was looking at the newspaper and there was kind of three job, three pages of jobs for everything else, and there yeah. were three pages of jobs for chefs. So I yeah. thought to myself, if I do an apprenticeship, number yeah. one, then I'll eat well. 
Yeah. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Number two, maybe impress the ladies, you know, cooking. Why Smart not? move. And um, then, you know, three, then you're earning. You know, you've got a trade yeah. that you can travel with. So I um, I then, yeah, kicked off my apprenticeship at a restaurant called La Sands in Sydney. Big seafood restaurant, 120-seat restaurant with 150-seat um, function center as well. And yeah. uh, it was just step into it. I think within the first, I don't know, within the first couple of weeks, the third-year apprentice resigned and they said, Glenn, you need to run this section. So you just jump into it and because there's no... Uh, customers, you know, they want to be served and yeah. there's not always time for this segue training process. It was just how, how trial it, by fire. How, how does that work in in terms of sections? Like, do you, are you in charge of a certain section of the restaurant or a certain sort of... Yeah, like, what, what yeah. Is it, what does that great, mean? Great question. So, so the section, I started off in Lada. Yeah. Um, so, we had a, a, a pastry chef, um, a, yeah. brilliant, a brilliant um, Portuguese pastry chef. So, I did some time with him. There was the Lada section. That's the one I stepped in to run. And it was a busy pumping section. Yeah. Then you've got the pans, the grill. Um, sometimes the fryer has their own section as well. But on lard, yeah. I'll do uh, the lard section and the fryer. Yeah. So you're kind of thrust into, I guess, to put it in perspective, you're going from, um, I don't know much about cooking, into yeah. suddenly I'm preparing meals for customers at a very fast pace. Yeah. And there's a lot of micro time going on. So you need to be disciplined with your yeah. mise en place, which is your preparation. Everything needs to be organized and you have to have a good workflow. Yeah. So the workflow being a sequence to go through. So yeah. every order that comes into the restaurant, there needs to be thinking about, right, what are the elements on the dish? What's the timing? Do I need to communicate with other sections to coordinate? Yeah. Um, what's the garnish? Um, seasoning, is that correct? And so there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of moving parts happening in a restaurant all the time. Was there ever a, a, an, oh shit, I don't think I can do this moment? Yeah, frequently. Yeah. 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 It's uh, kind of, kind of run, you can run daily as a young apprentice. Yeah. There's just things going on because you don't feel in your comfort zone yeah. and it, there's, there's more you can take on. But I also, I also thrived on it. Also loved the adrenaline rush of a good service. Yeah. You know, when you're feeding, you know, a hundred customers, that might be three or 400 plates going out across the pass. So there's a lot of variables. Wow. And, and and then from there you got into competitive cooking. Yeah, yeah. How, so, how'd that come about? Um, so I was so this restaurant where I did my first year, um, then I, I moved down to the ski fields. And I told you I, I love snow. So I moved down to the, the ski fields in uh, in Jindabyne. Did a season down there. Um, just loved it. It was very social, but working in the kitchens as well. Yeah. And snowboarding on my days off. So, yeah. you know, perfect balance. Um, uh, I ended up where I finished my apprenticeship at uh, St. George Lee's Club uh, in Sydney. And there were a lot more structured, a lot more disciplined. Um, you know, all the uniforms got laundered before that. You know, it was, it was yeah. my mum helping me out doing the laundry and yeah. and so forth. But um, it was it was just a really organized environment. We had, uh, there was about 20 chefs and eight apprentices. Yeah. And the apprentices, um, they were very disciplined. Like some of the girls, they were just immaculate with the way yeah. they, the way they cooked, the way they seasoned, the way they uh, presented. Yeah. And they said to me, "Hey, we're we're entering this competition," and I'd never heard of it before. I'd never heard of competitive cooking. Yeah. And so it's just a chance to test your skills. And as a young as a young guy or a young cook, I'm yeah. thinking, "How good's this?" And there's prizes to be won. So that opened my eyes into. What, what could be achieved. And the Salon Culinaire, that was one of the ones uh, that, I, that I entered. It's a margarine sculptor. So it's very, it's very creative, um, yeah. all hands-on. 
There's yeah. live cooking. There's um, static presentation where you're cooking and then presenting cold aspic glaze, and it's kind of an old style of comp, but a lot of it's moving to uh, now more the live cook-offs. Yeah. And the Nestle Golden Chef's Hat, it's actually just been um, judged recently, and so I'm involved with that. That's um, one of the one of the really good events. So the uh, award for this year was $10,000 for the winner. Um, mm. As an apprentice chef, you know, how can that change your career or your training or your prospects? Oh, yeah. Very, very powerful. Yeah. And uh, I really love the competitive environment, you know, especially yeah. as, as a young guy, you start winning a few things. And then, then I, I started entering more because I had this time because I'd gone from a restaurant where I was doing 60 to 70 hours a week into a, a club where I was doing... 38 to 40 hours a week. Yeah. So I had all this extra time. So I was training myself. I picked up some casual work on the side as well. And um, I was fortunate to win uh, in the fourth year. I, I won uh, Le Talk Blanc. It was a, a chef association. I won Apprentice of the Year with Meat and Livestock Australia. And it was a trip to Singapore to, to visit a, a Food Asia, big food exhibit over there. And that was just on a whole new platform. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a real eye-opener, I thought. Glenn, so that, that was sort of before so i i i think in terms of competitive cooking on tv at that time it was more like you were sort of ready steady cook oh you know yeah, green that. peppers I don't even red know if peppers that was around at the time yeah ready, steady before that this was all happening in industry to yeah. promote uh best practice to support and encourage industry yeah um just a different outlet for apprentices and yeah. so this is sort of pre-social media days so yeah to, yeah to go in a competition and maybe have a write-up in the local newspaper that's yeah. great for your cv Great yeah. for your confidence. Um, great to meet other people. Yeah. Um, and the industry's always been quite supportive like that. Um, and 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 how did you? So I, I do want to touch back on that in in a little bit, but I do want to continue your journey. But I, I wanted to ask. So, what was the sort of culinary life like in Sydney? What was the culinary scene like? Because obviously, over time, and and now especially, Melbourne, for instance it's considered one of the best places in the world for restaurants mm -hmm. and bars and that sort of thing in Sydney as well. Um, so I do want to sort of see from your perspective, how you've seen that grow. Yeah. Look, really good question. So, so going back when I was apprentice, we're talking now 20, about 23, 24 years ago. Yeah. Um, cooking wasn't sexy. Cooking yeah. was like, Oh, you're a chef. Get out the back in the kitchen. We don't want to see you. There was yeah. minimal open kitchens. Um, not really, you know, from my point of view, not really rated as a, as a trade, yeah. um, even to what you could earn, you know, like yeah. a plumber call out rates, electrician call out rates on a weekend, double time on Sundays or whatever that might be. Yeah. No, no way for a chef. There's just, there's your standard, standard wage. I think I was on $4.30 an hour and you just work and you work Friday night, double your work Saturday, double. So double shift is turn up at 8am, go through till about two or three have a break, come back at about four thirty, five o'clock and go through till midnight. What? Yeah, we do that five days a week. Just standard. Oh that's my what god. You do. So that's the training. That that was the the and you know, look, it still happens in industry now. Um it's yeah. there's a lot more I think a lot more focus on the balance for young people now. Yeah. Um, you know, or just for chefs in general, not for young people. I mean it's it's a demanding, physically demanding environment. Oh yeah. But customers eat lunch and dinner. So as a business yeah. owner, what are you gonna do? Yeah, Can't exactly. Close. Well, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you were in the in the resort, the or the ski resort in Sydney. 
Uh, no, so that, so that was down all the ski fields. So yeah, ski fields, right? Restaurant up in Sydney. Yeah. Um, and what you'd asked me there about the, the difference, I guess, you know, between Sydney and Melbourne, what I, what I liked when I eventually got to Melbourne is there was just a bit more, I think, a, a bit more appreciation of the craft of cooking. Yeah. So... You know, I was in the I was in the UK and 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 you know did a, did some years over in Europe and then came to came to Melbourne. Yeah. Um. After growing up in Sydney and they, it just it just felt right at yeah. the time. It was a little bit more appreciative. Food starting to get a little bit more interest and then you know we fast forward to where we are now with the, the likes of MasterChef that's really opened people's perspective around yeah. food and cooking and the industry of food. Oh, big time, yeah. Um, yeah, so so it's 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 a lot more, you know, I don't, I don't know, I wouldn't say glamorous is the right word, but it's a lot more accepted yeah. or a lot more appreciated now of, of the craft of cooking. And I think that's that's really good because we all eat, right? Yeah. Everyone has to eat. <laughs> yeah. So it's a it's a connective thread that everyone on the planet has. Yeah. And, and how did you end up at the Michelin star restaurant? Was that something, I guess... When you were sort of starting out, right? Did you sort of sit down and say, "I want to be here in X, Y, and Z years," yeah. or were you sort of, "I'll I'll just see where this takes me," for you to end up at a Michelin star restaurant? Yeah, great question. So, so, so the kind of journey went um, after the ski fields. Finished my apprenticeship up in Sydney. Yeah. Um, jumped in the car, drove up to Cairns just for a road trip and to explore. And um, you know, girlfriend and I at the time, we end up working in four and five star hotels, um, heading up into Queensland. And it was in Cairns that I really, I really loved the work I was doing there. Five star hotel up in the fine dining restaurant. Yeah. Um, and I, I had a, uh, just an appetite to learn more, but it was the heat and the humidity up there that made me think of, well, I need to get back to snow because this is too hot. Yeah. So we went and did a season in Canada yeah. and worked the ski hills. And that was a, a great year. We, I think I snowboarded over a hundred days for that year. Yeah. And it was just amazing. Lived on the ski hill, uh, worked on a, you know, a, a log cabin high up in the, in the, in the, in the ski fields. It's and, like out of um, a movie. Oh, it was just brilliant. I used yeah. to snowboard down to work to start work <laughs> and you? then get a lift with the, with the guys after service awesome. back up through the snow. And um, that was just a lot of fun. So it sort of cemented the, the travel and the link and it's, and, and cooking's a, a craft that, you know, you, you, it's not frowned upon to be, going into other countries and going into other kitchens because you're yeah. actually accumulating your, like your recipe book and your yeah. repertoire as you go. Yeah. So there's a lot of learning to be had. Um, and that, you know, that then sort of planted the seed of, well, where else could I go in the world and what else could I learn? Yeah. And so I was back in Sydney for the 2000 Olympics um, just because it was such a hot spot and there was so much happening and it, the city was alive. It was electric. And after then, it was just about sort of saving up, getting visas and, and, and so forth in order to head to the UK. Um, and yeah, landed over there, you know, without, I don't know, it wasn't really a conscious decision of where, you know, or to, to cook in a Michelin-style restaurant. It was just really, you know, what felt right, what was the right environment. So, yeah. But I'd read about Michelin and had a, an understanding on appreciation. And I just thought, I wonder if I have what it takes to work in that, in that environment because there's yeah. a discipline, there's a next level of discipline. Yeah, that goes with it, and I tried. I tried. They call it a stage over there. It's basically where you you, you go into a kitchen. They accept you in. You work for free, um, on your own time, and you you're kind of testing each other out. If it's good for you, if they like you there, and then at the end of the stage, they might you know the the, the chef uh, might offer you a role. And and th is that that's at the Michelin star restaurant? Yeah, yeah. So so the Michelin star restaurants pretty much have I guess people coming in and working for free. Yeah. But what what sort of thing would you be doing as you're working for free? Because surely, 
I mean, surely they wouldn't put you in charge no, of like you'd the. No, be, you'd be under the guidance of, of someone else. So as a as a, I was over there as a chef de party. So you've got your apprentice and then a commie chef, and then from a commie to a demi. That's the next level yeah, up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. a chef de party that runs a section. Yeah. Um, and then you then you've got a you know hierarchy above that might be senior chef de party, junior sous chef, sous chef, um, and then your head chef. Yeah. So there's a it's a very very disciplined hierarchy. Yeah. So everyone knows the place that they or the role they need to play. Which yeah. any I think any good team should have. Yeah. Um, but that's the the environment I've come through, so I have an appreciation of who's who's in who's who in the zoo. Yeah. And and where you're where you're not overstepping or what you need to do to get to the next level. Um, so you know, in that regards, there you're doing a stage, but it might be just very light duties, just seeing you know maybe a little bit of cooking if you're lucky, but more preparation, more watching, yeah. learning, questioning, and. I think it's more about um, them understanding how you operate and are you inquisitive enough and do you have the skills to pull it off? Yeah. So it's very accepted. I don't know if it still happens now, but that was absolutely what, what happened when I was over there. Yeah. Because um, now we've got a lot more insurances and litigation and things like that. And it's not necessarily, I don't know, it's not really free labor or that's not the way I took it. It's more around, it's actually a hassle to the restaurant to allow you in. Well, that's what I was thinking because you're, if you're, it's a Michelin. Well, you're a random. You're, yeah. You're an unknown entity in the team. Yeah. So there's this kind of vetting process and that's yeah. why I thought it was quite acceptable. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mind that sort of thing, honestly, because um, I think if you're going and working somewhere for free, that's a display of how much you want it. It's commitment, right? Yeah. It's commitment. It's actually turning up and saying before you even you know, open your wallet to pay me as a business owner... Um, how do I represent professionally to yeah. be here? And um, yeah, I think if, in anything in life, if you want to learn it, well, you need to go out and seek the best and you need yeah. to ask and say, hey, can I apprentice under you? Or yeah. you know, what can I learn from you? Yeah. And it's not every business owner that will turn around and say, well, let's agree on some terms so I will pay you to be here. Yeah, That's unique. And, and when you were there, were there other guys working in the same area as you? Um, so I, I went through, I, I went through a couple of uh, kitchens and yeah. the, the reason that worked really well for me is I didn't have any contacts on the ground. So I didn't know anyone. So you, you didn't know anyone. No. Oh, well, it's usually like literally just knock on the door and be like, Hey, can I? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is, so yeah, it would be much easier with a smartphone. Um, yeah. there was <laughs> yeah. a, around, um, going to see an, maybe an agency and asking there's looking at the newspaper and seeing what's available and then yeah. making phone calls. And yeah, absolutely turning up with your chef kit and uniform and saying, you know, I'm here for a, a day's shift. And um, yeah, so it, it allowed me to grow a network pretty quickly and ask because on the on the ground, all chefs know each other. So mm. when you're working in one kitchen talking with a chef, they know a chef somewhere else. And through that process, um, I, I, I must have trialed, you know, staged in, a, in half a dozen places. I was just looking for what felt right for me. Yeah, and um, I ended up at Harvey's in Bristol um, uh, under under the chef there, Daniel Daniel Galimish, uh, an amazing uh, Michelin star French chef, yeah. cooking in the UK. And the it was the vibe of the kitchen was right. Yeah, there was another Aussie boy, Dave Green, in the kitchen, and he was sensational on the pans. Um, there was Warren, the sous chef, English. Uh, we had uh, Stefan and Laurent on pastry and baking. Yeah, so we had a really nice mix culturally. Uh, between English, Aussie, French, and yeah. um, and the food was just on point. So the vibe was right, and they offered me a role, and um, I, I I was there with them for two years. For two years. Yeah, that was the length of the visa. Wow. And <clears throat> what did you notice? What what was the step up 
to an environment like that and and what lessons did you take out of that i mean what sort of hit you where you sort of looked at yourself and said hey i this is the level that i need to be at and mm. i need to do x y and z what was the sort of lessons you learned from working with people like that look there were there were so it's <laughs> a great question there was so much at the time it's really difficult right because yeah. i think the best lessons are learned in retrospect at the <laughs> yeah. time yeah <laughs> at the time it's it's difficult Thinking um, of all the mistakes I've made. There was, yeah, yeah. Well, there was, there was the discipline of hours um, that that had to be done. There was the, uh, you know, keeping yourself clean and immaculate at all time, uh, and then the, the technical side of the food, um, you know, like like the like foie gras. So we're doing pressed foie gras terrines, and that's a, a product that's foreign to me to us in Australia, um, but that's what we had to do over there. Smoked salmon. I mean, most people would know smoked salmon that comes nicely cured and um, and then sliced down, ready to go. But we yeah. would. We would get it in. We would we would um, uh, you know lightly smoke it ourselves, and then we would um, let it let it sort of like age or air dry, and then we would hand slice it down uh, to order, and, and then we would use that to make the salmon poppyettes and, and and different terrines. And there was you know all of our pickling techniques, and even the sauces that we would do that would take us three or four days to achieve the end result of the sauce. Wow. And it was, as my chef had said, whatever you think you know, Glenn, just leave that at the door and I want to show you the way we do things. So there was, I think, for a gap as a young Aussie to go from a very young food nation into, you know, someone that's been trained in three Michelin star restaurants in France that's kind of like, you know, it's that, that cradle of the food civilization. Yeah. I think France and Italy are just massive food nations that yeah. have been doing it for centuries yeah. Right. Centuries and centuries. So, so all of that history there is to be absorbed, and 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 that's why um, there's the traditional approach. Because without tradition, there there can be in food there can be no creativity. Because yeah. you need to have a benchmark to come back to. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So this was kind of like for me going right back to basics, as in even the the the, the finesse of the cutting. You know, julienne has to be spot on. That's like little cut, cutting things in little matchstick shapes. Brunoise, you know, little two millimeter dice and very traditional French techniques that we learn here in Australia. But to see it fully applied, yeah. um, was just was just different. Um, and it was it was a great learning on so many levels. And the the hygiene aspect that we would go through, like this this kitchen was um, it was a, a converted wine cellar or a sherry cellar from the 13th century. Yeah. And uh, it was an old kitchen, but it was immaculate. Yeah. We used to come in on the weekend and we would we would scrub the, the door hinges of the fridges to make sure they, they were shiny and clean. So everything was just um, just perfect all the time. Because I think in the kitchen, the discipline is the way we do one thing is the way we do all things. So is this – so you guys wouldn't have – cleaners coming into that you guys would you guys would do it yourself <laughs> no 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 cleaners no contract cleaners we would do the floors we would clean the greek grease traps out uh, we would scrub the fridges or make sure everything's sanitized because that's part of the discipline that you know i've come through that's what you do to to be a yeah. good chef and to present you know beautiful clean food is you you must understand the fundamentals of hygiene and was that something being done at australia at the time yeah, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. So, Maybe so, not. This this was just the next level. Like we used yeah. to come in and and, and uh, you know the, anyone in the industry will laugh when they listen to this, but we used to come in and we would polish the grease canopies above the stoves. They would come out. That would be done every week. Is that come just literally the top of the stove? Degrease? No, no. The whole exhaust system, all the way around, would be polished. Would be cleaned and polished. Show what, it shone. What was the idea behind that? Uh, just anyone steps in the kitchen, it's immaculate. 
like the front of house, like the back of wow. house. Again, the way we do one thing is the way we do all things, and that was just what we did. I like that. I actually think that's a, the way we do one thing is the way we do all things. I think that's a an awesome sort of approach. Yeah. Yeah, look, yeah. especially in, you know, think of it in a food environment. If you, you're at your local, you know, cafe and out the front it's all beautiful, maybe plants and all the staff are immaculate and everything, and that kitchen door swings open. Yeah. And you look out the back and, you know, if you see the... I don't know, it could be someone sitting on a milk crate having a cigarette and their, you know, uniforms all over the place and hair's a mess. They look like they haven't washed for a week. Yeah. How confident are you feeling about your food product? That's a good point. I actually never thought about that because mm. it, it really is an end-to-end sensory experience when you think about it, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And then when, when we enter into now with it's a lot more mainstream open kitchens, yeah. that's a great thing because it's, yeah. it's honesty, it's transparency. There's yeah. nowhere to hide. Yeah. So... <clears throat> After your two years working um, at Harvey's, mm-hmm. you came back to Melbourne. Correct. Right? Correct. Yeah. And what was the, what was the plan when you came back to Melbourne? Were you, I mean, were you just like excited? Oh, I've learned all this new stuff. I can't wait to implement it. Or were you sort of thinking, okay, where am I going to go next? Yeah. Look, I, I to be honest, I hadn't really finished traveling. So okay. you know, it was just it was a real. And my fiance at the time, there, Nikki, she's uh, she's a legend. We were just, we were still in the travel vibe. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we thought, we thought, well, how do we continue this journey? Mm. And um, we'd, we'd finished up our, our, our two years working over in the UK. And then we, we bought a, a camper van and we drove throughout Europe. We did about 17,000, 17,000 Ks through Europe, you know, driving sort of the back streets of Poland, Germany, Portugal, all through France um where else did we hit oh look it was just down through spain french riviera italy (laughs) um down in naples and it was just mind-blowing like the 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 territory that we covered and so we were just experiencing and really loving the travel the travel vibe and the the history and the culture yeah so to, to come to melbourne was a continuation of that journey yeah and um yeah we we just had a really good experience we arrived in melbourne and um it was i remember it vividly actually we we went out um we, we went out into the city one night in the first sort of week or so we were kind of jet lagged and we jumped on a tram and I remember trying to work out trams and where you get off and how it stops and how you don't get run over when you step out of the tram and all those yeah. basics, right, that, that a lot of Melbourneites take for granted. And we said to the tram driver, I said, look, I need to get to here. Yeah. Um, I think it was, I think it was the Forum Theatre. We're going to see a show. I need to get to here. Where do I need to get off? And, and, about three people on the tram just straight away popped up and they're like, oh, you want to go down here and this is where you want to go and this is what you want to do and then we'll let you know. And I'm just, it was just really bizarre. Look, it was so friendly and so welcoming. And, and I think when you're in a, in a foreign place, um, to have that kind of connection with people on the ground as, oh, yeah. a, as a segue into the experience, all of a sudden your perception changes. Yeah. Right? It, look, equally could have been the other way where, I don't know, you know, you, you, you jump on and you ask the tram driver something and the next thing you're sitting next to some guy and his dog and they're, they're yeah. having a go at you and um, yeah. you just think, oh, this is great. And you form an opinion very quickly, can do. Yeah. So our segue into Melbourne was just spot on. And, yeah. and that night, um, we're at the Foreign Theatre watching, a, watching um, I can't remember the exact show, but um, we, would, we just met some young people and we we're having a chat and they're, they're like, well, what do you do? Or you know, we're sharing stories. I said, oh, look, I'm a chef and... Straight away, the, the energy was like, oh, 
my brother's a baker and he works at this place and let me tell you where you need to go for the right coffee and let me tell you who does the best bread at the moment and this restaurant here is amazing and so, so their energy was just brimming and these yeah. were, these were young guys they would have been oh look 21 22 year old just brimming with enthusiasm to yeah. tell me as a as a as a like, uh, like a tourist yeah where i could go for great experiences in melbourne and i just thought i think i found my tribe yeah. as a chef you don't get that every day of the week and, and yeah. to have a very supportive and collaborative and appreciative industry is um is really good and that's yeah i think you know looking at it now it's it's part of um the the melting pot of nationalities that we have here oh yeah big time right? yeah, a yeah, yeah. lot of lot of great overseas influence because that's what it would experience in europe and yeah. all of a sudden to see that here and um and you know even with Sydney, that have been many years since I was in Sydney, but that's just changed a hell of a lot now in terms of hospitality. So yeah. it's just come along leaps and bounds. I mean, hospitality across the board in Australia has done really, really well. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Well, I, I know um, in San Sebastian, for instance, there was a place that we went to for coffee, right, um, and breakfast every morning. And as soon as we stepped in there, we're like, oh, this um, place reminds us of home, right? It reminds us. Nice. So then we got to talking to the owner and he's like, oh, where are you guys from? We're like, oh, we're from Melbourne. And he goes, oh, you know, I, I go to Melbourne and I go to Sydney. He goes, I've actually based my coffee shop on the coffee shops in Sydney and Melbourne. Wow. Which is huge. I mean, San Sebastian, right, is... That's a food mecca. Yeah. To, mm. to have a place based on, you know, two cities in Australia is, is a big sort of like, you know, tip of the hat to what we've achieved here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that cafe culture, I think we do quite well. The climate's yeah. good, people are relaxed, and, and yeah. we, we don't have, I think, you know, Australia, this is a generalisation, but we don't have that, um, you know, three, 400, 500-year legacy of a specific cuisine mm. that needs to be done in a way. Yeah. So we get a lot more freedom. And that's yeah. that, you know, I, I said earlier, without tradition, there's no creativity. We get to live in this creative space, Yeah. which is really cool. And yeah. the, good, the good thing about creativity, it's interpretive, right? Yeah. So if you if you create a meal that is a perceived as a bad meal, that's okay. You'll be hungry in a couple of hours, and you get a chance to go again. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to get so caught up on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> right. On, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 a healthy way to explore, and that's part of the lure of cooking is this ability to express uh in a way you know your creative flair and techniques on a plate yeah but know that it's going to be consumed delight and surprise someone else and then you get a chance to do that again and again yeah. and again and again well we're, we're definitely spoiled for choice here there's absolutely no doubt i mean the the amount of places you can go for a good meal and in different types of price ranges are mm. like just plentiful in melbourne and when you came to melbourne and how long have you been in Melbourne oh, now? I've been around, ooh, I want to say about 15 years. 15 years. Mm. So in that 15 years, what have you sort of, have you seen the, the foodie scene change? Mm. Um, the, I don't know if the scene itself has changed so much. Like good operators are still going, um, others yeah. have, have come and gone. But the, the customer viewpoints change because of um, media and social media. In, in what sense? What, what do you mean by that? Well, well, you know, you and I can be sitting right here now and we can tap into, you know, 20 or 30 people that we know that are mm. out having different experiences right now and they can yeah. kind of share that with us through social media. Yeah. Instagramming somewhere, Snapchatting something, going yeah. live, Facebooking, whatever it might be. 
So all of a sudden we can, we can have a look at their experience and we can then make a choice of like, hey, that's really awesome. I'm motivated to go there. It can plant a seed of somewhere we might go in the future. Yeah. We might look at it and be envious because, you know, we're sitting yeah. here drinking single malt whiskey and we're, we're like, oh, yeah. yeah, but hey, if we went to that cocktail bar, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, you can share that a lot more. And I think that's, um, that's allowed the customer awareness just to open right up. Yeah. And you also helped set up 15 which is um one of jamie oliver's restaurants yeah yeah right so how, how did that come about did you know jamie back from when you were working at harvey's or what what like what were you doing in your career at the time that led to that opportunity really good uh you've been doing your research george i know, I know yeah. you glenn i know you i know you now on a professional level <laughs> Um, so, so 15 came about is I'd come back from, uh, overseas, um, worked in a few different places and I was running a catering company yep. and we had a team of 20 in the kitchen, um, uh, doing about, oh, I was about four to 5,000 meals a week. Um, but all food logistics. So nothing in house wasn't a restaurant. It was all corporate catering. Yeah. So I was leading up their corporate boardroom division, cooking for like, you know, the, the CEO of HSBC bank and yeah you know, Commonwealth Bank, different law firms, and we had a really good clientele. So my desire there was it was my first Monday to Friday job. Like I was just blown away. I've the, never, I'd never cooked Monday to Friday. So the, you know, the corporate gig? Yeah, because yeah. The, our, our clients were corporate. So yeah, it was all in corporate dude. hours. And um, so on the weekend, I at first didn't know what to do. There was people everywhere. I was a bit confused. Yeah. Um, but over a period of time, I thought this was kind of, kind of nice. Yeah. And um, so as I was there, I was with them for a good couple of years. Um, I had, it was about eight or 10 apprentices uh, in the kitchen. And I started as the exec sous chef and then I took over as, as the head chef. Um, so doing all the menu development and, and also a bit of business development and made some really good friends and we we're having a lot of fun. Yeah. But the apprentices I really liked working with. Yeah. And I employed this, uh, I employed this old school, I was a little bit of an old school workhorse, uh, Michael, Michael Williamson, um, great lad. And he was, just had so much more knowledge than I had. Yeah. So he was like triple my experience. And I said, listen, we're a young crew. You need to take orders from me. And if that's not going to work, that's okay. This is not the place for you. And he just said, Glenn, he goes, oh, I'm, you know, I've been at your level. I, I know what it's like. I'm really happy just to come in and do my work and leave. Yeah. And so he, I took him on as a casual. And <laughs> yeah. Michael's watching me there and, I, and he was just awesome. So reliable. And I'm always learning from those that are around me. So um, never knock back a shift, always on time. He just had the right work ethic. Yeah. And um, he's watching me one day and he said, Glenn, I've been watching you with your apprentices and I've, this job's popped up on my radar and you should really have a look at it. Yeah. And it was the training and development chef for, for 15 Melbourne. And um, I was too busy to look at that. I'm like, whatever, I'm <laughs> leave me alone. I'm busy organizing, yeah. you know, next week's roster and everything. And um, it was within a short period of time, might have, might have been later that week or the next week, I just had a really tough day and I'd gotten home and it was about 11 p.m., so a long shift, and I sat down. I was a bit annoyed, and I thought, what else is there on the market? So I, I, I put in, and, and in retrospect, it was a very half-assed application um, for this role because I didn't really know about it, and I wasn't really looking. I was just kind of just kind of tapping on the door saying, I'll have a look. Yeah. And um, then then we fast-forward a little bit, and I'd been uh, over, over snowboarding in New Zealand because – Love you snowboarding. Like I, can I can tell. We chase it where we can. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, got, I'd gotten an email. I think I got an email or a phone call to say, we can interview you. Can you come in for a, for a catch up? And I said, actually, I'm over. I'm heading over to New Zealand, but I'm back on Sunday night. 
um, and they'd said, well, we'd really like to see you. So I actually flew back from New Zealand after my holiday, um, went home, hit the showers and went straight down for an interview on, at on about 8 p.m. on a Sunday night. Wow. Yeah, down in St Kilda and it was the, um, the head of the 15 Foundation for Australia and one of the team out of the UK that worked with Jamie. Yeah. And they'd told me this afterwards that they'd pretty much made their decision on who they were going with and it wasn't me. And because they'd already lined it up with me, as a courtesy, they were going to give me the old, very nice to meet you, thanks very much, and there's the door really? conversation, right? So they'd, they'd already decided, right? It was Sunday night, I get it. They were under time pressures, things need to move. Yeah. So I just went, a, sort of a front-to-back interview, and I went in and I didn't really um, sort of, I don't know, sit and listen to questions that I were asking. I just went in and did a bit of a presentation and said, this is what I do, this is what I'm about, this is what I like to do, I like working with apprentices. If you need to speak to any referees, speak to my apprentices because they're the guys that this is what, the way you would do it. <laughs> Glenn, I, I, love, I love how true, true you are to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was funny. So, so apparently, and again, I learned this months afterwards. Yeah. So I walked out of there and it was the, the two of them just looked at each other and they just went, oh my God, we need him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, and that, that, that's, which is awesome. So then, yeah, I got uh, offered the, the role training development uh, chef 15 Melbourne. Uh, next um, conversation was go and catch up with Toby Puttick. Yeah, And so I'm jumping online going, Toby Puttick, the name's kind of familiar, but I don't know who this is. Yeah. And so Toby's good mates with Jamie. Who, so who is, so, who so, is Toby? So Toby is Toby was the, the head chef of 15 London. Okay. He'd worked with, Toby, uh, worked with Jamie at the River Cafe. Yeah. Um, so really good mates and still are to this day. Yeah. Um, and, and Tobes and I are good mates as well. We've actually got our podcast, Kitchen Therapy, that we're doing together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? So we laugh about all these early stories. So, oh, okay. so he yeah. was, he, he was yeah, like the go. chef patron of 15. It was, it was happening here through Jamie because yeah. of Toby. Yeah. Um, social enterprise, we, we would take 15 to 20 young apprentices every year, train them up as uh, first-year apprentices in the kitchen in a very supportive environment. And I was heading up the training program yeah. um, for these apprentices and trying to get them beyond – their normal limitations of hating classroom teachers, authority figures, different addictions, affiliations, yeah. just just not not being in a great place, into showing them that they can contribute to a team uh, in the kitchen environment, handle themselves under pressure, um, be organised, yeah. sort their mise en place, get their workflow right, um, contribute, and also get that beautiful instant gratis- gratification that comes from serving a meal to someone and having them say, that was amazing. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I, I think for a lot of our, our young recruits, that might have been the first time in their lives that had such positive reinforcement from customer, but also the level of support around us with the foundation. So um, it was it was really intense, but a lot of fun. And, yeah. And so as I sort of Googled Toby and realized how much cred he had and his cooking technique, he's a Melbourne boy, uh, Cafe Cucina, where he started his, his, his apprenticeship and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. worked over in the ski fields in Italy, uh, Switzerland, I think as well. Um, just got a really good style to his food. And then working with Jamie for so long as well and, and, and you know, the two of them collaborating. So it was just another another dimension, I think, to bring into food. So yeah. th- therefore, I landed the role as a training development chef with, with Toby. And uh, he was awesome because he just opened my mind to 
different avenues in food because he was very yeah. well connected down here in Melbourne. So okay. it, it allowed me to go out and catch up with a lot of chefs to help us with the program. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're all the, the heavy hitters, you know, Georgie Columbaris, you know, yeah. Shannon Bennett, um, Ray Capaldi, uh, Gary Megan, just th- yeah. these were these were very successful chefs and entrepreneurs at the time running their restaurants. And um, through Toby and our 15 network, we got a chance to put a lot of our apprentices there to yeah. give them a segue and a step up in industry. And and the apprentices, how, how was it pretty much anyone could apply? And how, how would you choose who the apprentice is? Uh, pretty, pretty intense um, screening process. Yeah. Um, but the criteria was kind of against the grain. You're not really looking for your conventional employee. Uh, employee, yeah. You, you, we were kind of looking for those that felt that for for one reason or another they couldn't, um, they they might not get this opportunity by themselves. Um, it might okay. be through um, their lack of confidence, um, through you know uh, some of them uh, different different drug or alcohol addictions um, oh, yeah. that have that have impacted their. Um, their ability to, I guess, present well in front of an employer. Um, looking for those that are, you know, a lot of, lot of um, disadvantaged youth was kind of the, the banner that they came under. That can come with a range of different things, but you know, from, from, from different mental health issues to yeah. family breakups to, um, you know, these, these young guys, what they go through in a week, I wouldn't wish on someone in a lifetime. Really? That was the reality of their week. It was, it was full on. Um, but, through working with us and us trying to guide and mentor and, and give them some some skills for the kitchen, yeah. also translated into skills for life. And, yeah. um, you know, fortunate to say we had some some amazing successes. We had spectacular failures as well. You know, we, we, yeah, we were sure. young, naive, trying to do the best we could. But the the youth organisations that we would we would deal with, they said, um, they told me in that, that first year through, they said, if you can get one out of 20 through this program, like to, to last the 12 months, yeah. That is mind-blowing. How many did you get? We got eight. Yeah. That's eight, amazing. Eight to graduate through and, um, yeah, really, really powerful. Probably the most uh, most intense um, but most rewarding role I think I've ever had. What, what, was, the, what was the idea behind uh, hiring disadvantaged youth? Uh, it, was, it was a social enterprise to, to give them an, an opportunity and to give, I guess, um, something different back in back in Melbourne. Um, well, I wouldn't say different, plenty of organisations doing it, but yeah. the idea of um, not just being a, a, a charity and supporting a welfare mentality mm. to actually give the training to go with it and supporting yeah. to, to turn these young guys, and if you dial right back from a commercial point of view, you're taking someone from a, a welfare uh, drain on resources, taxpayers' dollars, into a taxpayer and that's a pretty cool thing to do. So then suddenly yeah. they can earn, then they can work out how to, you know, where can they rent uh, to live, what other jobs can they do, and then the world can look very different if mm. you have that that skill because not everyone does. You know, yeah. you and I are probably quite fortunate um, yeah. in that regards, you know, Absolutely. strong mindset, you know, good upbringing, yeah. um, and, and you can create opportunities. But for these for a lot of this cohort, they just, they just really struggled for, for one reason or another, sort of slipped through the cracks and... That was the mantra that um, that Jamie had set up, and the the we were Jamie's Kitchen Australia was the TV show that we yeah, filmed right, to support yeah. it, and Jamie's Kitchen was the one in the in the UK, and it was it was really powerful. I mean, you know, still is. I haven't watched it for, for eons, but from a kind of reality TV point of view, uh, very powerful, very personal journey for those that were on it. Yeah, 
So what, what do you what do you think those guys responded to the most out of that experience? Was it just having more discipline, more structure, having the appreciation? What what do you think sort of drove them to you know turn the corner in their life mm, by going mm. through this program? Yeah, look, I would say um, those that did the best um, yeah. were the most persistent. Yeah, um, you know, I would say to the guys, uh, guys and girls through the program. The more days you turn up, the better you'll be. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was normal to have uh, to see someone as a full time employee. Yeah, uh, one or two days for the week. Yeah, because many things would happen behind the scenes, and we we're trying to support them and bring them back in. So it wasn't about you know if you don't turn up, you're done. It's more around right. How can we work with you? How do you work with us? Yeah, and and the, the, those that showed up the most days got the crossover with the professionals that we had around, mm. um, learnt more. Um, gave more, therefore received more. Yeah, and um, they they made their own their own. Um, I guess they made their own luck. They carved their own journey. That was yeah. the work they had to put in. We could only yeah. create the playing field for it to occur. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, that 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 persistent uh, persistent approach, I think, from was probably probably key. Yeah, I, I like that because I feel like that persistence applies on so many different uh, facets of life. Right, so regardless of what, like, you know, for instance, if you want to get better at, um, let's say, um, you want to get better at boxing, for instance, you know, if you just turn up when you want to turn up, you'll maybe get a little bit better. Yeah. But if you're turning up every single time, no matter how shit you feel or Mm. how tired you are and just making sure you're getting that, you know, those hours in, I feel like that's going to be you know, the, the determinant of making yourself better. Oh, look, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it applies to so many, so many things. Yeah. Um, the more you put in, the more you'll get back. It's it's yeah. that practice and dedication. You know, they call it that 10,000 hours of expertise. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And um, the kitchen, you know, the, 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 the conscious, uh, sorry, the contentious thing around, um, around the trade, around, you know, cooking and being an apprentice is that, um, you know, you should only do 38 hours a week. Well, you're not going to get better than someone that's working 45 hours a week if you're only no. doing 38. No. And if you've got someone doing 60 hours a week, well, they're just going to get better again. So, yeah. it, 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 you know, you don't want to pull that choice away from the individual. But as an employer, you've just got to balance it in and make sure you're not putting the young people at risk. You're not burning them out. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's definite amount of hours put in. And I look at every hour that I've put into the kitchen and I'm sure I've worked three lifetimes. But um, yeah. I don't regret any of it. Yeah, it's it's what what I had the energy and the desire to do at the time, and um, you know enthused by it. And it's you know same as a same as a professional footballer. Yeah, you know you put more in. That's that's fine. You can't just turn up on game day and expect to perform at elite level. Yeah, and from those guys that that got through, or sort of two prong question. First, firstly, is there anyone that's that's gone to start their own thing that you're immensely proud of? And was there ever a guy that you're like, oh shit, like you were that close to making it, and you just sort of just failed at that, you know, that sort of key moment? Oh, look, it's it's, it's a yes to both. I think any anyone that anyone that turned up and joined the program in their yeah. own way was that was awesome. Yeah, that was just awesome. Just to turn up and front up and go through the 
the induction that we had and we take the guys away for a camp and do a lot of team building and just some okay. basic just some really good social skills and yeah um them being able to be comfortable to you know trust the team to have some yeah. some deep conversations um that was great um some of the graduates have gone through i'm still in touch with now the good friends um, oh yeah those that want to are in touch um those that those that don't that's okay they're on their journey and it was a time and a place yeah. Um, but I'm just immensely proud of all of them. I think yeah. it, it was it was huge. And I'm looking back at myself in those days and you know what? I was I wasn't always the best or the easiest to get on with. You know, it was yeah. it was it was tough. It was it was tough. There were there were times there, you know, I was clocking in poof, geez, brushing hundred hour weeks sometimes, just the amount really? of admin and physical and bits and pieces. There was just a lot of it was it was a role that was hard to put down. Yeah. There was there wasn't a clock off. Yeah. There was a one thing one thing's done and then how do we go on to the next thing and how do we go on the next thing and try yeah. and stay but that's what i like to do i like to bring a lot of energy to a project yeah and make it move um yeah so so you know some amazing successes with uh, just 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 beautiful young people at the end yeah. of the day whether they choose to still cook or not is irrelevant yeah um and and i know for a fact that a number of them have gone into different areas but they've they've adjusted their mindset and they've learned some basic skills. Now they can succeed in anything, whatever they put their mind to. Yeah. That's, that's great. And, um, you know, you, the other part of the question there around those that, that, that came so close, yeah, you, you can kind of see it. So, you know, analogy I used to use at the time, it's kind of like, you can see the train crash. You can see the train crash coming. Yeah. You can almost pick the point where it's going to drop off the rails, the train. And so you can either make a choice as a trainer to allow that to occur and sit back and, and, and throw pebbles at it and say, I told you so, I told you so. Or you can allow that train to crash yeah. and then pick the person back up and say, so what did you learn from that and, and how would you do it differently next time? Yeah. Or you could go a bit more proactive and you can be on the side of the rail. So just as they start to edge off the rail, you can just not always nudge sometimes just drop a firm shoulder to drop them back on track yeah and then do that again and again and over a period of time they start to realize hang on a second i can stay on these rails myself yeah yeah and they're those hard lessons that at the time you know that's it's tough to take you know yeah. I, I remember one of my <laughs> one of my apprentices she'll laugh if she listens to this sitting on sitting on a milk crate in the alley she said glenn why do you hate us so much she said, Glenn, why do you why hate us you so hate much? Why do you hate us so much? And I just said, because that's what I do. And just <laughs> shut up and get back in the kitchen. And um, just you, not- you, you said that, Glenn. Absolutely. There was okay, just, no- just Just a pause. So I've, I've known, I'd say I've known you for what, maybe about- um, Seven or eight years, I reckon. Seven or eight yeah. years. And you are one of the nicest guys, <laughs> the most bubbly, bubbly, warm fellas. For you to say- <laughs> just, oh, probably, you didn't say that. I probably didn't even say it that elo- eloquently, but yeah, uh, you know, um, you can conscious, swear. You can swear on I'm this. I'm conscious my mum might be listening. You know, so right. I wanted to apologise to her. But yeah, um, <laughs> no, not not at all. We, we have a laugh, but yeah, it was yeah. it was like that. It was it was hard. It was brutal, but there was there were things that needed to get done, and yeah. I was just challenging, just challenging um, her as an apprentice, just to sort of get over your own shit and get back in the kitchen. Yeah, because this, this the hole is bigger than you. The whole, the sum of all parts. Absolutely, and, yeah. Um, and she did. She aced it. Absolutely aced it. And rock star, head chef level. I, I, I'm not sure if she's still cooking overseas and stuff at the moment, but I, I check in with her frequently. Yeah. Um, whenever I'm, I'm passing, you know, through through the restaurant or the town where she's at, I'm like, I make the effort, and she always makes the effort to catch up, and it's just, it's just awesome. 
that is just awesome to have that um, uh, to, for me to have that opportunity to hang out with her at a at a precious time in her life. Yeah, yeah. So I look at it. That's awesome. So that was fifteen, and then from fifteen, you started. So tell me how how the recruitment for Master Chef came about, and and was it because. Yeah. MasterChef was one of the first shows of its kind from memory, right? Other, other than – I remember that show on SBS, um, the Japanese one where they had the oh, sort of – Iron Chef. Iron Chef, oh, yeah. Oh, fantastic TV. Uh, every Iron single Chef. person – Loved it. Loved every it. single person after a night out would either watch one or two things, either <laughs> the soccer – or yeah. Iron Chef. Iron Chef. Yeah. 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 Great late night viewing. I love I loved the yeah. dubs. Uh, I love the food. I love yeah. the intensity. Oh, yeah. The Iron Chef. I've got a mate of mine, Mark Normore, who he knows the Iron Chefs. And I'm like, oh, really? you're, you're a legendary. That is legendary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so so how'd that come about? I'd, I'd, um, I finished up at, at 15 um, after a good couple of years there and just needed to step away and replenish. Um, opened up a, a food studio down in Footscray. Raw materials. I remember um, that with a friend of mine. That was awesome. That was yeah. really nice. It was a chance for me to be a little bit more entrepreneurial. I worked. Um, I worked. I worked a couple of shifts. Did you just? That would have been um, right. Yeah. yeah. Would have been, Tash would have brought you in and said, "Here's the hired help." Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did I give you a hard time or? No, you were really, really nice awesome. to me. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you were really nice to me. Uh, event space, very customer facing. Yeah. And um, and through doing that, we did uh, you know teaming, filming TV shows and a lot of corporate team building and yeah, it was it was a fun side of the industry for me. Yeah. Um, to get involved with and bringing a lot of skills that I'd groomed up over the time and I, that's where I, I was really honing in on that I, I'm a bit people person and I really like that yeah. coaching training side of things. And um, I just got a phone call from Box Hill TAFE where I was doing some work. Um, some sessional teaching and they just said and this this happens often to me i get a phone call saying a client was asking for something and it was so weird and left field so we thought of you glenn yeah so can you help us out yeah. and you know i said look no worries sounds like fun um happy to come and help so i turn up um to box hill tafe uh, there's a film crew there two cameras rolling soundy exec producers um, and they are doing the judge recruitment for MasterChef Australia. So, you, you didn't know that that was what you were walking into? No, no, no idea. MasterChef I'd, I'd heard of in the UK. Yeah. Um, I think that's the first one, but uh, no idea they'll bring it out here. And, you know, just you just get oblivious in your own little world. So, yeah. that was really interesting. And, and so, I turned up as the mock contestant. So, my brief was do not engage the judges, cook bad food, and allow them to converse and talk. So they're looking for the dynamic of the judges. Oh, it's so interesting. Mm. So, so well, here well, I am. What did you cook? Um, so, so uh, a range of different dishes that, yeah. that I thought were just disgusting, and any anyone with a palate would just be eating it, going, "It's cringeworthy." Yeah. And, but all the chefs were really polite, right? So I've got I don't know seventy or eighty of Melbourne's top chefs of the time coming through auditioning for this role. Yeah. And um, they're all tasting the food and they're being very polite and very constructive with feedback. And the producers are saying to me, Glenn, your food's not bad enough. And I said, no, no, don't get me wrong. This is, this is disgusting. I they're all being very polite. Yeah. And it was, it was two in particular that told me what they really thought of the food. One was yeah. uh, Frenchman Jacques Raymond. And yeah. Jacques can be very intense in the kitchen. So he just ripped me apart. Nice. And, uh, well, what, know, do you, what do you say to you? Lay, lay uh, on me. You know, I, I can't do him justice in, in French, but, you know, he basically said, what is this shit? What are you doing? I can't believe you even consider yourself being a cook. I love Good that. luck with whatever you do, but you'll never set foot in the MasterChef kitchen. 
Did they know that you were a mock contestant? They knew I was a mock contestant because I knew a lot of them, right? I knew ah, a lot of them. Oh, yeah, that's right. You would, yeah. So it was this it was this really interesting circumstance. I wish I could see the footage actually, because you yeah. had these these chefs turn up that are looking at me going, hang on, Glenn, what are you doing there? Yeah. And then they're trying to work out, am I in character, am I not? And then they're trying to work out what they need to do and what the producers want. Right? You should have had a fake moustache. Oh, I'll tell you what. Well, I'm just making up shit on, you know, who yeah. I am, what am I doing, I'm <laughs> laughing with it. I'm going, I'm, like, oh, I'm a librarian. They're like, oh, really? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, pressure. I said, pressure in the library. You get three people returning books at the same time. That's real pressure. I can handle this kitchen. I'll be yeah. fine. And so we were just having a good laugh with it. Um, but yeah, Jacques uh, just went off and, and George Columbaris, um spat out the mashed potatoes. He just spat it blatantly in the bin. What are you thinking? You don't put pepper in mashed potatoes. You're mad. Your palate's out of whack. Da, da, da. He was hard, but then he was, you know, uh, really nurturing on the, on the flip side straight after. Yeah. It. And they're the two that stood out because of, 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 the, of the, uh, the aggression coming forward. But uh, I remember Matt Preston saying to me years afterwards, right? Um, he said to me, Glenn, you put that much salt in the spinach that I cooked. There was that much salt that burnt my taste buds for a week. <laughs> I was telling the producer, it's bad. It's, it's salty spinach. It's a really tannic red wine sauce. It's disgustingly cooked beef that is dry. Yeah. Potato, like a classic meal. Yeah. But each element, there was so much to talk about on how you could do it better, what was wrong with it, what was right, and, yeah. and so forth. And just I was just trying to give them something to play with. And, uh, yeah, but it, it worked. We kept yeah. coming back to a different dynamic, different dynamic, and, and that's where they arrived back at um, Gary, George, and Matt, you know, that have finished their legacy now, but... In retrospect here, what, what, what we and I was, you know, good fortune to be involved with is a, a pivotal moment in, um, I think, uh, food media in Australia. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, MasterChef it, because was- Because it just, it just it, the timing was right. You know, yeah. It captured the, the imagination of the, of the public and, um, and, you know, the ratings were through the roof. Highest ranking, highest ranking TV show uh, in Australia at the time outside yeah. of one-off sporting events. Yeah. That's significant. Yeah. And- um- from from the guys that have won MasterChef, right? <clears throat> have have any of them gone on to to do great things, or have any of them sort of once they're actually out on their own, outside of that sort of setting, not quite grasped what it takes mm. to have a successful restaurant? Because I, I I'd assume that being a good chef on a, on a TV show is very different to being a successful chef with uh, a restaurant. Oh, worlds apart. Yeah. Worlds apart. Um, you know, what, what MasterChef is, is, is uh, and it's probably even the, the title that can be misleading, but we've got uh, beautiful uh, individuals that are not formally trained, um, passionate home cooks, cooking a dish, a single plate of food yeah. with no food cost, Right, whatever you want, the best produce, and yeah. they don't have to think about the commercial arrangement behind. Like some of the dishes I'd see presented were, were beautiful food. Yeah, but I'm talking a food cost on the plate of three hundred dollars. Now you can't sell that in a restaurant. No one will pay the money. So there's the balancing act, right? Mm. And that's what the, the the trade is, or the, the the certificate course is commercial cookery. Yeah, you need to bring a commercial lens to it. Um, so that's not what the show's about at all, but it's about showcasing producers, showcasing techniques, and it's really clever cooks. And there's been so many that have come through, and I, I know I've auditioned a, a load of the guys there. Justine Schofield, I mean, she's phenomenal. A beautiful daytime TV um, series has been going for years. Um, 
she, um, you know, I auditioned her in, which I'd actually forgotten. I reintroduced myself to her and she said, yeah, Glenn, you auditioned me for, you know, the series. And I was like, oh, damn it, I, I should have remembered that. But um, her, Poe, Adam Liel, um, got on great uh, media trained after the TV show, really engaged with their palette, uh, know how to present and, and come out with a good following. What, so, what's media what's trained? Media sorry? trained. So, so when you go through a reality TV program, that's yeah. what MasterChef is, right? Yeah, Reality yeah. TV, like SAS, like Survivor. Yeah. It's just got a very different lens on it because the MasterChef Australia in particular, very positive, very supportive, very encouraging. Yeah. Right? Not like Big Brother, which is reality TV that I don't really care for, but MasterChef <laughs> was kind of cool. Yeah. Because all of a sudden then we've got all these really cool chefs coming forward and that's yeah. why I really loved working with them is, you know, suddenly I've got Heston Blumenthal in my kitchen. Yeah. That shit doesn't happen every day. No. And you've got to really appreciate, you know, the moment. Yeah. And I had Thomas Keller. Um, he's a brilliant chef, one of the world's, one of the world's best in my mind, French Laundry out of the UK, uh, US. And, um, you know, when he's sitting down in the kitchen just going, Glenn, what do you think about this? And you're just having a conversation. Yeah. Beautiful moments. And was that was that surreal for you or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would have done it for free. Yeah, um, but I didn't tell the producers that. No, you would not You're a smart man, Glenn. I needed to. Smart man. But um, yeah, the amount of cookbooks I got signed and and just the the, the lessons I learned. And again, again, hard work. Yeah. Like there wasn't a lot of sleep going on. It was it, there were some serious days of very intense twelve month shoot schedule. Um, wow. But but beautiful working with best in field, and. You know, back to your media trained is when a when a contestant has been recruited, has is doing film shoots with with ten or eleven cameras running. Yeah, right. They they come out of this being very savvy on um, how to get the, the you know the money shot, the hero shot, the right thing to say at the right time, the way they talk, yeah. nice and clear, um, presenting really well. So they have this uh, skill set, like you know, public speaking. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those funny things, public speaking, that still ranks very highly around. I would rather die than, you know, present to a crowd of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, public speaking in my mind, you do it all the time. If you're having a conversation, you and I are public speaking now. You're public. Yeah. We're speaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's a mindset thing, um, and for a contestant to go through that process um, and to be, you know, doing the competition cooking. Yeah. Uh, live time. Uh, with some esteemed judges and giving feedback is they come out the other side um, with a very broad skill set that yeah. appeals to uh, marketing companies, PR agencies. Um, they can do social media. So they can come out of it doing a myriad of things in food that did not exist 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah. There was no uh, influencers or let's run a PR marketing campaign online. It just it, the, the, the market didn't exist. Yeah. So for anyone that's put their hat in that ring, full credit to them. It's how they capitalize on it. Yeah, absolutely. Afterwards, and and from the contestants that I that I like, I catch up with or follow online and, and and converse with, I think it's a really it can be a really double edged sword, because from being uh, on on a prime time TV for a period of months, and even that though that's been filmed, but then when you're outside the MasterChef kitchen and you're seeing yourself online, and out comes the the appearances and it could be a shopping yeah. center appearance and that extra little thing on the news and everything mm. like that. Um, some individuals crave it and thrive. Other yeah. individuals uh, feel withdrawn. Yeah. And, and and some, you know, just feel that they're failing if they're not being perceived well in the media. Yeah. So never, there's I'm, a whole compounding thing that can easily go on right behind it. So that that that's something that I actually didn't consider about 
how how they'd feel about how the media perceives them. Yeah, I don't think anyone likes hate mail. No. Email, this, that, tabloids. You yeah. Know, it can, it, it's fraught with danger. Um, and and the going through a reality TV show can amplify many things. I mean, it's, 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 I, I don't know, it's, maybe some of these, how these magazines exist. Yeah. You know, who or TV Week or I don't know, those <laughs> ones there, the ones that are in the doctor surgery. Yeah. That, that have got the next, the next tabloid, the next story that's got 2% of truth yeah. in it. You know, who knows? Yeah. But that's that's the nature of being in the public eye. And I, I believe, you know, sportsmen go through it. And, um, you know, at the moment, I'm loving SAS uh, on TV and, and looking at some of the elite sportsmen that have gone through talking about um, and revealing their feelings around how they've gone through depression because they were performing at a, at a, at a, at a world-class standard and then getting stripped down by the public or the media. What's and, what's, and what's how SAS? Hard that is. Um, SAS um, is uh, so it's um, uh, out of the out of the UK. They go through the training for special services. The, the special, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, it's it's phenomenal. You would love it. You would love I, it. I'm, I'm right? yeah, I'm I'm so out of the loop with TV shows. Yeah, um, that are on on anything other than like a streaming service. Oh, you you are you are missing out. It is great. I, dro- I need to dropping watch them this. backwards out of helicopters. I mean, the fatigue they're putting these guys <laughs> yeah. through. Um, it's really intense. But you know, I, I just. I just appreciate the the persistence, the charisma, the sheer grit yeah. of these contestants. And we're talking, you know, from cricketers to swimmers to, you know, there's, there's some real high profile, you know, rugby players. Um, yeah. there, there's some quality on there and yeah. um, and them sharing their journey. But but reflecting back to, they'd gone through this, this spotlight, at, you know, performing on a world-class stage. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's not there and they feel maybe that they don't have that that self self-worth there yeah. or that they're a failure yeah you know, t- to be saying that you're a failure at 32 years old when you've swum swum you know or run or you know play cricket at a world-class standard yeah wow that you've had an experience that the mere mortal wouldn't have yeah exactly right, right. like i'm not going to olympics <laughs> well I, yeah. I never say never right yeah it's uh you know, there's always the table tennis out there or something. Oh, you, you, know, could, you might, might maybe snowboarding, mate. Like, <laughs> that could be, that could be something. You've seen Sean White, right? <laughs> yeah. oh, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, but look, th- there's training, discipline, dedication that all comes yeah. with it. Um, but I think that's hard for anyone and, and for, for these in reality TV world, for, for someone to put themselves in MasterChef and go through that, um, come out the other side and be confident enough within themselves to be happy at the level they're at and create yeah. opportunities and to thrive on those opportunities. Yeah. Um, that's that's the balancing act. That's the personal journey for them. Yeah. They, I've never never really considered that as a as a thing that the that these people, you know, who who twelve months ago w- would have just been your sort of like n- normal Joe Blow, right? Would have been like you and I. Yeah. Just cruising along, you know, take the dog for a walk in the park, <laughs> yeah. catch up with some friends, down the pub having a beer. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now you've got 100,000 social media followers that are hanging on your every word. Yeah. Okay. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. How are you going to, and, and that can amplify many things. Yeah. Yeah. For rightly or for, for wrong, or that's all a matter of perspective, really. Yeah. And then from there, from, from MasterChef, you're now on a, a new venture. Or it, I feel like you've been doing this for a while. Facilitation, life coaching, and just from the way you're talking, I, I can I can certainly tell that there would be a lot of things that you would have taken from from your time in working from the Michelin star restaurant, where it's such structured sort of discipline 
where you're cleaning grease traps that nobody's going to ever mm, see mm. other than the person cleaning them. You've you've now honed all these skills and you're you're doing facilitation and life coaching and and how how's that been for you? What what's the What's been challenging about getting that going or, or? Yeah, yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question. I'll, I'll even challenge you on that, sort of that life coaching. Um, and you were having this conversation just before. Yeah, before it's, we started. It's sort of a, I don't know, that's a, it's, a, it's a weird way to present it. What, what I do is development coaching. Yeah. So it's like performance and development. Um, yeah. How that impacts people's lives is up to them. Correct. Right? So it's not that I'm saying you should do this and therefore get your result. I'm just sort of really listening and dialing into what's going on for the individual. Yeah. and benchmarking their own success and trying to help unlock some things that might be holding them back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so after the after working with the MasterChef team, um, I went into the corporate arena. So I was, I was running, I was working with Australia's largest caterer of, of the time. Um, I had uh, 180 catering sites under, under my, my sort of jurisdiction and doing masterclasses and training development standards, things like that. And then another four years working with the largest pub operator in the Southern Hemisphere and I had 1,100 chefs in the brigade. So my role shifted from, you know, that chef guy kind of on the tools into a lot more strategy, communication, development, yeah. which to me is eff effectively coaching. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just, I just enjoy the coaching side of it. I think I always have. And yeah. it's, you know, as you said before, it's kind of something I've, I've been on the journey for a while, but especially over the last five or six years really starting to dial in on this is what I want to do and how I can really add value back to, you know, back to the world, back to individuals, back to my family, back to, you know, just, just, just anyone. It's, it's stuff that yeah. I like to do, stuff that lights me up. Yeah. And um, so um, now I, I work with organizations that are setting up their, their strategic approach. They're, you know, maybe they're struggling with internal communications. Mm. Maybe they need some motivation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've got a great little strategic motivation um, package that I roll through that, that not only works the strategy, but it also empowers and energizes everyone to achieve it. Yeah. Because I think people like being on winning teams. Yeah. You know, there's that sense of progress, that sense yeah. of movement, uh, sense of belonging and sense of trust. Yeah. And definitely pulling together everything I've, I've learned from, from a young lad, all my failures, all my learnings, all the hours I've invested um, everything that I've learned from, you know, from my mum and dad through to my family, through to um, experience that I've had. And I, 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 I weave all that together so that I can bring it to the client if the client needs it or yeah. is looking for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. So I, I freelance. I freelance now. Uh, yeah. I have been doing for, um, I'll look on and off for many years, mm. but more specifically um, the last 18 months. Yeah. Where, you know, I've got a good friend of mine, he shared with me years ago, he said, Glenn, as a businessman, you eat what you kill. Okay. So, if I'm not out, um, you know, in front of a client and, and offering services, then there's no food on the table. Yeah. So, that, that mentally um, brings a different perspective into it. There's, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't have a, a slack day. Yeah. You know, I, I need to be on my game. I need to be razor sharp because when you're, when you're presenting to a group, um, they're looking to you for the leadership, and yeah. and the the coaching I do is leadership coaching, and that's that's the level that it takes to impact a business. Do you, do you think that you know having that experience at a at a relatively you know young age where you're fresh and green going to that sort of environment where again you know you're doing 
you know, cleaning the grease traps. Like, like the every- pressure cooker of the kitchen. Yeah, like is it's almost it's almost like the the way you do the little things are the way you do everything, so to speak. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, do you think that's translated over the years, or was it like what? What was the sort of thing that you think shifted that mindset for you? Look, if I'm honest about it, I think yeah. it, it was it, it was go, getting into cooking, knowing that, and in my first job, looking around at, at and I'll call them the old boys. Yeah, they were over thirty. Yeah, and I'm thinking, I won't be cooking like that when I'm that old. And in, in what know, sense? Well, it's it just it, it's it's a very physically tough environment. Yeah. You know, Friday, Saturday nights away from your family, you're there, and that was you know at the time. And and look, I've got plenty of plenty of mates that are still cooking at that age. And um, but I, I thought early that you know this is great as a young as a young person. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's sustainable. In yeah. That, in that duration, just, just you know, not not mentally, you know, or maybe mentally, but definitely physically. Yeah. Right. There's a physicality to spending that many hours on your feet. Um, yeah. And and the you know you've got to be on top of your game because seconds count in the kitchen. Mm. Right. It's not like um, you know, you're running a project and you blow out by three weeks, you know, or you miss a meeting. It's okay. We'll pick it up next Tuesday. Try telling that to a customer when you've left their steak on the char grill for an extra ten seconds. Yeah. Ten seconds. Yeah. There's your difference between your medium and medium well. So then the customer's out there going, hang on a second, I didn't order medium well, take it back. Then your chef just goes, oh, shit, there's the 10 seconds I missed. Now what does he do? He pulls the medium steak from the other order that's already on the grill that's been cooking for a few more minutes and sends that across. So it sends the whole table out of whack because he's had to make up a meal. Then there's the wastage of that steak that came back. Who's paying for that? Yeah. That goes in the bin. That can't be reserved. Yeah. Here it goes. It's gone out to the to the floor. It's back. So the so the the spill on effect's significant, and then you impact your team. That's the person on the grill. The person on the grill takes the person on the larder and says, "Hey, I need another side of another side of salad or more roast vegetables, something from the fryer." Yeah. Behind the pans, I need more sauce, and then so then the whole team gets impacted from that one mistake in the kitchen. Yeah. It's the dynamics, and so, I think um yeah I think often about that that environment and the lessons learned from from in the kitchen how how it translates into different areas in the in the corporate space or business space and I think it's fascinating. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm listening to you say that and there's a lot of things that I can see apply to corporate. Um, so, what would you say are the top three to five things that you've picked up from working in the kitchens that can apply to a business situation or even a personal situation in terms of discipline or mm. the way, you know, you approach um, a certain project? Sure. Sure. Um, I'd have to say um, clear leadership. Yeah. Clear leadership. No, knowing the difference between when there's time for coaching and training as a leader and when there's time for just leading and managing. Yeah. As in, I will tell you what to do now because there is no time for conversation and act this way. Yeah. As opposed to allowing you to make the mistake and then saying, yeah, that's okay, George. And let me just show you where you went wrong and let's not do that again. Because in the middle of service um, where you're impacting customers, you're burning your business. Yeah. Right? You're, one customer upset. And we've all been there. You've gone out to a, to a restaurant. You're sitting down there. Table of six, table of eight. Yeah. Everyone's meal's great except yours. Oh, excuse me. Waiter, can you take this back? It's not right. Bang. Yeah. Everyone else is sitting there just going, oh, wow. Now the table feels awkward. 
They're like, do we wait? Do we start eating? Um, what about this guy? Are they going to get right? Yes or no? And then, then there's you know the, the 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 customer that feels it's their their given right to maybe maybe go to town on a on a waiter or waitress for a you know twenty three dollar bowl of pasta that they haven't paid for yet. Um, it can be embarrassing for all concerned, and the chef's not definitely not in the kitchen just going, "I'm so glad I stitched that customer up with a yeah. bad pasta." Yeah, they're doing the best they can with the 137 variables going on at that particular minute to get that there. So yeah. that 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 leadership differentiation, I think, is really important. Yeah, right. Um, that's one uh, consistency, absolute paramount, absolute paramount. Um, turn up today in a particular uniform tomorrow uniform the next day you know particular level of hygiene knives are sharp you're ready to go you're organized your preparation's done um and uh, and probably the third one there would be the workflow you know workflow is just so important um that is knowing what needs to be done at what time in order to meet your deadlines mm. so in a project sense like a gantt chart it's all yeah. rolled out. It's predefined. Yeah. Um, in a kitchen, your preparation list, you know, becomes your, you know, integrates into your workflow. The way you need to do things in a sequence because you can't turn around at the start of service when there's customers sitting there and yeah. prepare a two-hour sauce. It cannot be done. Yeah. So there's improv. There's improv improvisation, right? Yeah. Which is fine. Winging it off the cuff. Yeah. Um, or there's being organised, being disciplined, and just doing it once and doing it right. Yeah. So that, that's, um, yeah, that workflow, I think, is it speaks volumes. So um, for those that don't know what a Gantt chart is, it's essentially just a, a, a chart showing when things are meant to fall due and, and how all the pieces come together, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, my brother's a project manager, so yeah. you know, we speak that lingo. Yeah, so, you know, the, the PMs out there all listening, they'll be like, yeah, 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 they, yeah, 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 yeah. Henry Gant, yeah, he invented that. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, right. Yeah, it's it's just it's a process or a massive checklist. Yeah, right. That that aligns many moving parts so that yeah. you get a result. And and when I think about you know like a standard recipe, a recipe is designed to follow the ingredients, follow the process for a replicable result mm. so it is consistent it is the same so you follow the recipe you follow the recipe until you learn it till you own it until you ingrain it is ingrained with you and once you have that then you start your variations on top of it and add your own spin and flair yeah yeah that's the creativity part that comes on the tradition but the tradition will be around get the recipe right first yeah that's um as you sort of saying that I'm, I'm thinking about obviously obviously about martial arts and and muscle memory and and just how the repetition of things of, of just the basic things ingrains that um, into your brain mm. at a at a base level, so that you know once you sort of progress and you figure out more and more moves and and whatever, you've always got that base level there, and your brain all, almost automatically knows what to do in that situation. And just as you're sort of talking there, I'm like, oh, it's it's incredible how you can apply something from you know working in a kitchen, which for me, I've never worked in a kitchen, Glenn. Sure. Right, and and I wouldn't, I would never, I would never think about all that, all that sort of process flow that goes into getting a um, a steak out on time, so that the eight people at the table are eating at the same time, and just being able to sort of do that stuff naturally because you've drilled it into yourself and you drilled the basics to yeah, be able to do that. Absolutely. That that um, you know, you said there with martial arts, uh, the ability to react 
So you're not acting. It's not yeah. new territory. It is reacting as yeah. in my muscle or my body has been here before. Yeah. And if I do this in this way, I will get this result yeah. that I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, and that's a that's a great discipline. No different than a uh, you know a musician. Yeah. Right. Acts absolutely the same thing. Yeah. Um, now I wanted to touch back on uh, you meeting Heston. And and you so it, it's funny because Heston's very very well known in Australia and the UK and Europe and um, he's got a certain sort of aura about him on TV. Is that aura replicated in person? Yeah, he's he's very real. Uh, yeah. One thing I know from working in uh, you know behind the camera in some some great TV. Um, TV shows is that the more authentic the individual is, the better the viewer connects. So mm. Jamie Oliver, whether the camera's there or not there, he is the same person, and that just shines through. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, just good charisma, good energy. Yeah. Has a laugh. Doesn't take himself too seriously. Real natural. Uh, and Heston's the same. Um, yeah. He's 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 yeah, uber uber clever. Mm. Um, just thinks about things in such a unique way, which which allowed him to get to the top of his his field. And you know, I actually met Heston. My chef Danielle in the UK is good friends with Heston, right? It's his chef connection. So I met Heston when he was a one Michelin star. He went on to then three stars, which is the highest accolade. But he was a one Michelin star, just you know, pioneering with the food he was doing, the molecular gastronomy. And um, you know, it was it was mind blowing experience, and the, the way he approached task, his attention to detail, and yeah. his his ability to question things. Yes, but why do we do it that way? Is that the best way? Yeah. Why is it done? Why did the customers experience it like that? How else could it be done? His ability to just you know uh, dial in on on a particular part and just unpack it and unpack it and unpack it. I think is is it's it's brilliance. Yeah, I, I remember. I remember watching an episode uh, on one of his shows. I can't remember the name of the show, uh, but he went and revamped the food at a hospital, mm. and he was pretty much saying, "Well, why are we serving the food that's so bland? Like we can do X, Y, and Z on the same budget. Like why not do that?" And um, I just thought that was kind of. I, know, I, I thought it was really nice because you think about well, most of the time you go to a hospital, it's, you know, it's not for the best reasons, right? Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, and, and food is such a, it's such a big part of our lives that, yeah. you know, it, it's something that brings, you know, different cultures together. It's something that we, you know, when you're taking someone out on a first date or, you know, you think about, oh, I can't wait to go eat this meal with that person. And then to have that, as soon as you put that in a hospital setting, it's just like, okay, we've now forgotten. It, it adds to that sort of, that not lifeless, but that sort of stale feeling, right? Yeah. And that, that's that's the a classic example of bringing innovation in. Yeah. You know, you've got someone, someone that thinks a little bit differently than the norm comes yeah. into a, you know, a hospital, a heavy institutionalized setup yeah. with fresh thinking yeah, and then starts asking lots of questions. Yeah. Well, how, how, but why, but how could it look differently? And then to be uh, persistent enough to follow it through to make some lasting changes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's amazing. And I've got a, I've got a good friend of mine who does a lot of um, a lot of coaching in the finance space. And we were talking just recently about, um, uh, you know, he was saying at a leadership level that 
that a lot of institutions, a lot of businesses are now r realizing the um, absolute, uh, absolute value in bringing someone into their space that is not from their industry. So not coming in saying, hey, you know what? I've been in banking for the last 34 years. Yeah. Well, what innovation are you bringing? But if you bought someone from, I don't know, pharmaceuticals yeah. in, and they say, well, in, in, in the manufacturing of pharmaceuticals, we would do this process in this way. How does that apply to this? Yeah. And they can ask different questions and ask beautiful, naive and innocent questions to actually challenge the internal thinking. Yeah. And, and you know, the work that I do with clients is, you know, yeah, I've got a strong, you know, uh, it's a strong uh, food background, but food's universal. So how does that apply to what you're doing? I don't know. And I don't always need to know, but I can definitely ask the right questions to yeah. allow the space to occur for then the organization to realize, well, hang on a second, geez, we can do this. We can do that. Great. Well, what's holding us back? Let's get those roadblocks out of the way and let's drive innovation forward. Yeah. If that's what they're looking for. Yeah. It's it's um it's so interesting that that sort of the microcosm of what happens in the kitchen can be applied on a corporate level so well because even when you're sort of talking about okay people need to know what they're doing they need to be on time this needs to happen for you know this station to move yeah. forward um, absolutely applies on a corporate level big time yeah big well, you, time. you hold you hold the team up yeah great. You know, yeah. if, if we're not ready, we're not ready. The plate's not going anywhere. It's going to sit there. Yeah. You know, in, 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 a, in a larger corporate business, that well, that's going to sit there and it's going to stall, which is going to turn into, I don't know, months, years delay. Yeah. And you can put a dollar figure on that. Yeah. In a restaurant at a micro level, that then, uh, you know, piece of chicken is now going to sit there under the heat lamps, right, until the garnish is ready for it to go to the customer. Yeah. Now, call that five minutes. You know, tell me, tell me if you've you know made chicken at home and you've cooked it so it's just perfect. Then left it under a heat lamp for five minutes. Is it still perfect? Yeah. Just gone. Yeah. Micro time. Yeah. Seconds count in the kitchen. Yeah. That's the discipline. That's the pressure. And 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 full respect to the the chefs that I've had the pleasure of working by. They really get the micro time and just getting things coordinated and bringing teams together to produce amazing food because you can't do it all yourself. Yeah. Oh, look. I, I think that that sort of that uh, subject of micro time, right? It absolutely applies even if you're working in front of a computer, so to speak, right? Because there's so many, there's so many distractions, especially now when we're, we're sure. most office people. Yeah, how are many windows you got open on your screen? How many screens are you running? Yeah, or you, you know, you're you're at home, your phone buzzes. I'm in the middle of something. Oh, yeah. I'll just I'll check that for that split second. You your your attention's taken away. Yeah, well, it changes your workflow. Yeah, right, because that was unplanned unstructured like getting yeah. pulled into a meeting you're not ready for yeah no one loves that no one yeah. loves an emergency meeting right now and you're like well my day's planned sideways yeah has to happen sometimes yeah but um it definitely throws you out of whack and not everyone responds well not everyone thrives on that kind of pressure no no glenn away from away from that what's your favorite meal and what's your most memorable meal most memorable meal Wow. So take us through the favorite and most yeah. memorable because yeah. they're, they're, two, they're two different things I find. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so memorable. The, but mind you, this is coming from a man that's um, bur burnt Matt Preston's uh, taste buds <laughs> for a week. So. <laughs> oh, um, most memorable. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a, a chef by the name of Ferran Adria. Yeah. And he was uh, best, voted best chef in the world. Um, this is just when I was leaving Europe. So it took yeah. us it took us a year to secure a booking. 
A year. Yeah, a year because he sells out in about a day or two. Whole season sells out. It's for the, for the whole on year? The, on the, on the, the, I think it's the Costa Brava above um, Barcelona um, on the yeah. coast and a beautiful little town called uh, Roses. And um, so we, we got the booking. I had some friends from Australia that I said, we've got this booking and they're like, great, both chefs, they flew over. So we had a 32-course degustation menu. 32-course. Um, so lots of snacks and flavors and pops oh, and God. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. And that was just, it was mind-blowing on so many levels. It was yeah. uh, about a four-hour eating extravaganza. Um, I don't think I could do something like that again, um, but it was so euphoric um, that I I'd couldn't sleep afterwards. It was just like sen- absolute sensory overload. Uh, met, met Chef was there, met him. Um, you know, one of the dishes I'll just share with one of the dishes. It was it was very simple but so effective. It was called carrot air, and um, it was served in a glass teardrop, teardrop, and it was a carrot foam that was so light. And so this Fran was like the the pioneer of foams. No one was doing this. So what's what's a glass carrot, teardrop? So, so I, you could a uh, glass teardrop like a like a like a glass, but on the side in the shape of a teardrop, so hand blown. Oh, yeah. And there was the there was a, a, a like a a coconut based liquid down the bottom some roasted spices up the neck and then there was this air and, and the instruction to, to consume this dish was to pick up the teardrop to tear it to pour it into your mouth so that the the coconut um the coconut scented uh liquid there ran through the spices and down your palate and yeah. um at the same time you're inhaling the the foam this or- bright orange foam that was inside it and it was it was like someone smacked you in the face with a carrot. It was so intense. The really? Flavor. Yeah. So what he'd done is is effectively kind of distilled or juiced the carrot, very very vibrant, very good quality carrots, and then and then um, added in I don't know what the emulsifier was, but made it so light and airy that there was no density to it, but it was all the flavour and aroma. So it felt like you were like biting into a really crunchy fresh carrot, and then the experience was gone. So it was just. Um, and yeah, that was just one of the courses. Every course was like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was just something real quirky with instruction how to consume, and it was uh, it was mind blowing. I'd never experienced anything at that level um, going there, so I could see why he was world class. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah, but very good. Um, favorite meal. Favorite meal. Oh, it's hard to choose just one. Hard to choose just one. Um, look, I think. The um, I'll go I'll go with uh, yeah I'll go with um with my lovely uh, fiance at the time now wife um, we had a a pizza down in down it was not far from Pompeii because I know we visited Pompeii in the day and just toured all the relics there and it was it was a margarita pizza so just the base and the most amazing tomato sugo ever just a basil leaf on top and <laughs> it was so simple and so perfect yeah and it was just it was more just the memory of, of, of just being with her uh we were in a camper van so it was pretty like rough and ready and just this mind-blowing sublime so simple pizza yeah um, that was just perfect so I, for me it's the memory association of who you're with really yeah. makes the meal the the food component is, is is a part of it yeah but it's who you're with how you're feeling could be maybe a drink or where you are. Yeah, that's the powerful memory part. See, that's that's what I find. Cameras just die by weight. That's what the vaping is. But that's that's what I love about food, right? Because you've gone from this is the most memorable meal 
which is a I'm assuming he's a three three oh, yeah, star three Michelin star. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, but voted chef's chef of the year. Yeah, for, for multiple years. I mean, absolute pinnacle. Yeah, and and you've got so you've gone from you know in in the same sort of same story. You've gone from here's the the pinnacle of of cooking to eating this thing out of a teardrop that tastes like a carrot and it's got you know something that to my favorite meal being a basic pizza at the back of a camper van with your fiance and and that's what I that's what I love about that it's it's such a dynamic thing that that really accentuates a lot of experiences that we have in life yeah right and I think you know sort of looping back on on what what Heston does and what he did with that hospital that that's what really sort of you know shows how how this you know thing that we just sort of consume when we're hungry is really just a very dynamic thing that you know if done right is a sensational experience right food is so emotive yeah and i and i love this uh, it's, it's it's you know what makes and breaks restaurants because you know when you say <laughs> what do you want for dinner yeah you say it like this what do you feel like what do <laughs> yeah. you feel like you're yeah. you're talking straight to emotions and that's yeah. that's that's if you if you're feeling normal if you if you you're hungry like yeah. it's all amplified you know, where's <laughs> yeah. my food i've ordered it 3 minutes ago it's not here i'm yeah. getting well so hang on your blood sugars are out no, i can't control that yeah but um it is it is so emotive and so subjective yeah. right so what i might hate uh, someone else might equally love and that's the beautiful thing about food and yeah. um yeah it's 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 challenging for those that are out there, you know, putting their heart and soul into it day in, day out. Yeah. Um, because especially as a chef, at the end of the day, when, you, when you've worked a, you know, 12 or 14-hour shift, you actually go home thinking about that one meal that came back and you beat yourself up over it on how you could do it better and you don't want to get that wrong and you, you, you procrastinate on it. Yeah. And it's very easy to discount the 300 other people that didn't say a thing. And yeah. we're all really happy and maybe tipped the front of house staff and everything that went home absolutely spot on. You just remember that one yeah. that one complaint. And um, I think that's I think that, you know, can be really, really mirrored for individuals that um, maybe sometimes we discount all the, the good things that are happening in our life and just mm. hone in on the things that are really shit. Yeah. And if you do that enough, you know what? Everything becomes pretty shit. And that's the mental game. That's a hard one. Yeah. And and over I guess over the years, how how have you stopped yourself from from doing that sort of thing where you're thinking, oh, I, f- I fucked this up. Even though I did X, Y, and Z right, I fucked this one thing up. How do you stop yourself now? What's the method that you use internally to stop that internal dialogue from happening? Yeah, uh, look, me, a myriad of things, but the simplest explanation is you, you've got to bring it into your conscious because if that's happening subconsciously, that things are annoying you and you don't know, that's very hard to talk to. Whereas yeah. if you can bring some awareness and, you know, think of it as like shining a light in the shadow. Yeah. You've know, you got to go, why is that annoying? Why do I feel annoyed right now? Yeah. What's happened that's just really upset me? Yeah. And then if you can peel that back and unpack it a bit more and shine a light on it, you've got half a chance then to go, oh, that's really silly. Yeah. That's been annoying me for 25 years. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That one comment that was made, you know, from a loved one or from an ex girlfriend or from uh you know the bully at school that yeah. made one throwaway comment that was sitting in your subconscious that just now you know you just it just grates you yeah so you you've got to just take a time to peel back have a breath check it out and realize time to let it go 
Yeah. And um, that can be tied in with ego and the whole deal. There's a, you know, it's a pretty complex little web, us humans. Yeah. Good stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a book I think you'd really enjoy, Glenn, um, called The Laws of Human Nature. I don't know, maybe if you've read it. Have not. Well, I've just started reading it. And a lot of what you're sort of touching on, um, they discuss in the sort of early chapters of the book, sort of saying that us as humans have all these biases, right? And then when, you know, a lot of times we all perceive ourselves as rational people, whereas in reality, we're irrational. But one of the things that they touch on in, in the early chapters of the book is when you, one of the markers of when you know you're being irrational is when you're highly emotional. And then from that, you have to try and figure out and take a step back as mm. to what's the trigger point. And what you almost find a lot of the time is it's something that happened 25 years ago from something that someone said or, you know, an interaction you had with, you know, let's say a superior at the time or a teacher or something along those lines or a parent. Mm. And that bad experience seems to sort of trickle through over time. So, it's um, highly recommend that book. I Sounds think. great. I also wanted to touch on, uh, you've met Gordon Ramsay. He's, he's, a, he's a nice bloke in real Hell life, right? Hell of a nice guy. Hell of a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. My my um my experience with Gordon, it was through one of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, actually. Is it, did um, you, how, how did you meet him? Oh, just, he was doing a particular chef dinner and um, I just like to stroll up and have a chat and, you know, break bread and have a conversation with him. And, and I just yeah. found him very, uh, very warm, very welcoming, good yeah. to, you know, uh, good to chew the fat. And um, he, I think he markets himself exceptionally well. Yeah. Like he's got that sort of persona of being able to flick the switch and just go off. Yeah. Uh, which he can do, but he doesn't buy into it. Yeah. Like he rants and raves, but I don't think he goes home and stresses over it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the, I think it's the old school, it's it's the old school um, training in the kitchen. Yeah. Where um, sometimes as, as as chefs and as leaders, you you, you train as you were trained. It's mm. a learned skill. This is what I do. I was yelled. I was yelled at or berated. Therefore, you will be yelled at or berated because that's what yeah. I know to do. Um, and he had some some great results doing that. Coming up through working with Marco Pierre White um, in the kitchen, really tough, mentally physical kitchens. Um, and uh, but he's he's mature enough to know that that's that's the brand that that, that comes through. His first, mm. I think, his first foray into TV was Boiling Point. With Gordon Ramsay's, and it was, it was beating up apprentices in the cool room, and it was all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, that I've seen those kitchens. I don't condone it. Um, I haven't done it, um, but I've worked under guys that carry on like the absolute peanut gallery, and you're just thinking, yeah. life's short. Get over yourself. Yeah. And um, but if 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 you want to learn from them, that's what you and that's what you feel you have to do. Then sometimes you got to do it. Yeah. Same could be said in sporting coaches. And things yeah. Like that you know, it's not it's not exclusive into the industry. But um, yeah, I, I think he capitalises and plays on that, so he puts on a really good public persona, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and some of you, I love his memes. You know, some of the memes are hilarious. <laughs> yeah, right with Hell's Kitchen and everything. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's 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 reality TV. Yeah, and he knows that. That's why he's yeah. good at it. Like yeah. he goes when you know when he's on that that TV show, he's a reality TV actor. Yeah, playing a part. You know of that. You know all knowledgeable, uh, very talented, which he is, chef. Yeah. But but deep down, he's a family man, knows his stuff, good to chat to, articulate, yeah. you know, yeah. very clever. And God, he's a hell of a cook. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I ate at his restaurant when he just hit three stars, I think, um, restaurant Gordon Ramsay in London back in the day. And it was just, 
it was just it was simple but sublime and as close as I could think of to just perfect. Everything yeah. was just considered, thought through. And yeah. um, I like that. The flavors were really clean, very refined cooking. And, you know, cooking is one of these things that as a young cook, you get really excited with all the ingredients and you try to put too much into a dish. Yeah. And as you get older, I believe, you start to realize it's actually what you leave off that, yeah. makes, that makes it good. There's a... There's a, there's a um, there's a real gift to to being simple and and the refinement that you bring to it. Now, I also wanted to ask you, with COVID and what's happened in the in the hospitality industry, mm-hmm. are we going to be okay? Oh, jeez, it's uh, my crystal ball. Yeah, is is you know probably as good as anyone else's. Um, but my my absolute concern is that that. Economically, we haven't seen the impacts of COVID nineteen, mm. you know, in Australia yet. Yeah, um, it was a it was a speed bump, and it was really hard when government are telling you to shut down and you, yeah. your cash flow. It's a cash flow business. Yeah, low margin, high labor, cash flow business. Yeah, ask any business how they go with seven months of, you know, restricted or zero cash flow. Mm. They'll all tell you they'll struggle. Yeah, I'll tell you a struggle. So I'm more concerned about next the end of this financial year when all the all the government funding or any rebates and all that are sort of drifted away. The good operators will still be left standing because they were good operators before, and they'll be good operators after. Um, but there'll be a lot of small businesses that go to the wall, and the industry is talking about statistically, you know, between forty and sixty percent of businesses won't be able to come back from this. Really. Mm. And and just to just to clarify, good operator means good operator not just from it's good food, but good from a commercial sense. Yeah. So good on their commercials, good with their team, um, good with their customer service, yeah, um, good with their marketing, uh, brand perception in the marketplace. Right, you go where you're confident. Yeah, of a, of a good result. This is where where brands can do quite well if they've got a solid brand. It'll keep drawing the customers in because there's 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 you know we said before it's very emotive. The purchasing yeah. of food. So, do I go with something I trust? Yes. Yeah. Is it time to take a risk? No. There's no yeah. time for risking. This is not adventure time in terms of dining out. This is about safe and secure. Where do I invest my dollars? Do I get a consistent yeah. experience? Um, is it is it uh, simple and significant on the plate? Is there value for money? Um, and yeah, it, it's it's going to be really tough. I think that's that's for you know restaurant, cafe owners, you know hotels really struggling as well. They've got the accommodations, but there's real estate holding costs that mm. come with. Um, it, it's it's encouraging signs as we've we've opened up, and I speak to a lot of people interstate. So you know up in up in Queensland, South Australia, and WA, that since they had a small lockdown, um, their hospitality businesses have bounced back. Like customers have come back to support. They're yeah. happy to get out, and it's really good. Um, layer over that that there's no domestic there's no international travel going on so the domestic dollar is floating around so if if, if for example you were going to spend $25,000 on a trip to the US now you're not so you mm. might renovate at home or you might upgrade your lifestyle and you might you know have a few more brunches you know, yeah. smashed avocado and poached eggs I hear is all the rage yeah um, you no, know no, no, no if you're saving for a house apparently but... <laughs> apparently not yeah um, but you know, just just getting out and just enhancing your day to day and in cre- creating those little memories that way that that's yeah. good for for operators. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just out just out the other day. It was my first time out for for many months and um, beautiful Japanese meal and just to tip the front of house. You know, it's kind of nice. 
yeah. sending it on, but it's a it's a it's it's a very cash flow business. Yeah. So it's 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 difficult, really really bloody difficult. Um, I, I don't uh, you know I don't I, I don't think anyone out there is saying that they're 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 absolutely annihilating it right now, but there's that's that's the 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 bigger picture is it's going to be it's it's really tough uh, economically. Um, but as many as many negative stories, there's equally as many positives coming out of it. Yeah. In terms of you know the 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 labor model was already not struggling the way it was. Is this a chance to reform, to overhaul, to look at it? Um, young workers, you know, young unskilled workers that could be commanding, you know, with penalty rates, you know, twenty five, thirty, so thirty dollars an hour mm. for unskilled labor. That's great as a young person. Yeah. Um, hard as a business. So yeah. does that get recalibrated now? You know, what training needs to come with it? Um, I think anyone working casually in hospitality right now is probably thankful that they've got some income coming through. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as we maybe we start to appreciate our earning capability now instead of a sense of entitlement, there's more a bit more gratitude. And that's a yeah. desire, I think, that for me, that would be great to see that roll through. Yeah. And do, do you think... Do you think because of that sort of trend of okay now now I'm going to put my dollars where where it counts that it's going to make the competition higher? What do you mean the competition higher? Is it more expensive or no, benchmark? No benchmark, benchmark. Because let's say let's say I've got two you know two sushi places to go to. Mm. Which one? Which one am I going to go to? The one that gives me that sort of end-to-end yeah. happy experience, and and the food's better, and they're that maybe that tiny bit, that tiny bit more innovative, versus just your sort of run-of-the-mill sushi shop. Which personally, I wouldn't want to see either of them fail, mm. right? But it's it's almost like well, if I'm going to have to book in advance, and it's going to be a little bit more expensive because of you know the you know the costs that sort of go up with with what with what's happened um would that sort of thing make it just inherently more competitive or have have i missed the mark on that no i agree with what you're saying there um i would challenge that it's what the business should have been doing already mm. you know, in this example you got two sushi places close to each other well you know the sharper operator the one that's on point with their customers bringing the right level of value Good follow-up. Uh, are they integrating technology? Are they thinking about how can I order on my app and have things picked up, delivery, takeaway? Mm. How am I nurturing my staff internally? What's my internal culture look like? Um, all those things as a business operator, any business, they need to be focused on it. And if they weren't, they are now. Yeah. You have to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, that many clients that I'm talking with that are saying, look, through, um, through layoffs or restricted teams and things like that, they've had to pick up everything. All of a sudden, they're carrying many divisions before it was just one division. So they've got a new appreciation of those other roles now and how they yeah. how they clip together. So with that in mind, when they come back to restaffing, now they have more insight on what it, what it looks like to run that section or that mm. division. So how do then, as a leader, do they work with their team to bring them up to speed faster? Yeah. So that's that's I think as a leader, any leader should be doing is you want to make your team stronger than you. Yeah, like any coach. That's yeah. the goal. I was about to say this is the the, the, de- the development coaching side Absolutely. coming out. Yeah. Absolutely. They should all be they should all be better. Anyone that I work with to train should be better than me. You take yeah. everything I have and put it with everything you have, why yeah. would you not be better than me? Yeah. You should be. Yeah. If that's what you want to do. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not it's not it's not pushing or driving anyone. It's it's, it's driving if they want it, but water always finds its level. So Yeah. And um where where do you where do you see the culinary scene in oh, you know, Melbourne or even more broadly in Australia? What what direction do you see that going in? Hmm. Yeah. Um I couldn't talk about specific uh, specific trends in terms of cuisine because we've got so much happening yeah. here. Um, but um, I would think that we'll we'll come out of this um, more more resilient and and sharper operators. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's it's a testing time, but um, you know, hospitality has always been a very resilient sector. You know, mm. if a pizza shop across the road goes out of business, there's 10 other people ready to step up to take the lease. Yeah. That that have the energy and the passion and enthusiasm to try what they think will work. Yeah. And, and they do. Um, and it's a business that, you know, you don't need a license to get into. It's mm. the scary thing, but it's the, re- that's the reality, right? Yeah. Like if you're an accountant, you need to, you know, you need to have accreditation. Yeah. If you're a lawyer, well, there's study and accreditation. You can't just go and open a bank. No. You and I can open a pizza shop this afternoon. Yeah. All we need to do is pay someone a lease and say, that's what we do. Register with the council and we're off. So it's a low barrier to entry. There we go. Yeah. So so for, for young business, and I, and I deal with a lot of small businesses and you know, these guys, are, they're working hard. They're yeah. working hard, but they love what they do. And this is where we benefit as as customers. Um, yeah. So I think that the those that are those that are truly passionate and dedicated in hospitality yeah. will, will absolutely succeed. Because they were always set out to succeed. This is just a change of trajectory. Yeah. Whereas those that thought it was easy money or an easy entry point, or I've always wanted to try, but my heart really wasn't in it. Mm. If they haven't exited already, they will by the end of financial year. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's 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 a it's a hard game, and it's not just this industry. Anything's hard if your heart's not in it. Um. It's very interesting because it's almost like if you were, if you're truly passionate about it, for instance, you're going to see it through the tough times because in your mind, you're it's worth it. Whereas if you're not truly passionate about it, I feel like uh, something like COVID and lockdown is going to be a bit of a an opportunity to be like, well, this this fucked up because of not because of me, mm. but because of what's happened in the world, right? Whereas if you're truly, truly wanting to do something, you're gonna, you're just gonna be, you're just gonna be going for it. You're not gonna be thinking about, oh, this and this and this has happened. You're just gonna be going, okay, how am I gonna make this work? I want this. I want this. How am I gonna make it work? Yeah. Right. That's and that's that's a mindset game. Yeah. That's a that's a question. That's a that's taking time and not just COVID. Any time. Yeah. To pause and reflect on what is important for you right now. Yeah. Um, and to know that every decision you've made has led you to where you are right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. That was all choice. Yeah. That was all choice. It's just whether you choose to play the victor or the victim. Yeah. That's the mental game. Absolutely. You learn from it and move on or do you let it hold you back and pin you to where you are? Yeah. We all get those choices, but they're, they're scary. It's scary to look in the mirror sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It really is. Right? It's hard. Um, you know, you're a really positive person by default. You know, I think yeah. I am too. But you know, yeah. the darkness—the well, darkness runs. Yeah, you know, I have a good—I have a good laugh. I have a good laugh with a buddy of mine. He's a 
he's a triathlete and Ironman and marathon runner. Yeah. He got me into running. So we ran a couple of marathons and uh, I didn't realize um, the, the, I call it the darkness that comes on at about the 29 kilometer mark in a marathon, 29 to 30, 35. Yeah. Where it's just bleak and the body's really tired and there's not much left in the tank and you know you've still got a long way to go. And, um, you know, uh, we, we, we laugh after the fact. Yeah. Because at the time, you just, you, you don't really have the energy for talking. There's no laughing or carrying on. There's like, that's yeah. when you see, I don't know, you see the photos or the memes of people pass that on the side or, <laughs> or the tears or the breakdown yeah. and everything, right? So yeah. the breakdown comes before the breakthrough. Yeah. And um, I found that specifically in that, that level of endurance that, yeah, I was just mentally and emotionally just exhausted. And to yeah. push through that barrier, and then once you start hitting the 35, 36K mark, you're kind of getting close to there's only you know, five to seven Ks to go. You can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's this part right in the middle where the tunnel's really fucking dark. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, it can be hard for anyone at any time. It's easy for us as humans to take ourselves there yeah. and to sit in the darkness. Yeah. And if you don't reach out and you don't have the conversations or pull support from those around you or listen to inspiring individuals or podcasts like this yeah. or read a good book or yeah. draw on that, it's hard to do it by yourself. Yeah. You don't need to do it by yourself. Absolutely right. And, you know, as you were sort of going through that, I'm, I was thinking about, um, so about three or, f no, no, about five years ago now, um, I was working working in a, in a company that I didn't want to work in, and I decided, okay, fuck this. I'm, I'm, I've you know I've done everything that I said I was going to do in terms of a professional career, you know, finishing my uni degree, getting into a consulting firm, yeah, awesome. then getting the post grad degree, then moving into industry, and I sort of felt like every step of that way wasn't I wasn't getting the gratification that I that I wanted. I was like, no, nah, fuck, I'm going to do a big trip, so. Um, I decided to go to Thailand, um, the States, Mexico, and then and then back home. And then even when I got back home, I was like, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off um, before I go back to work, which I ended up quitting. Um, but I remember being in Thailand and it was a trip specifically for training. So me and a friend went, he was there a week earlier than me. Um, and pretty much it was wake up. Um, we stayed in a really affordable accommodation. Muay Thai or something. Muay Thai, oh, yeah. Yes. With in a in a small in a small um, island, and is where they have the full moon party. But we went, we didn't stay in the full moon party side. We stayed in the sort of more yeah, get your ass kicked yeah. side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember sitting there, getting there, and sitting in the first training session, and it was so intense because it's really humid. It's hard to breathe. Yeah, yeah, right. And and the Thai trainers they'll they'll train you at a different level and and there it's not like because when you do a, a Muay Thai session in Australia, someone else is holding the pads for mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. and you hold the pads for them, so you almost have that you get the one break. yeah you get yeah. the break. Whereas there, these guys are trained to hold pads and they don't give you the break. I remember sitting there thinking, what the fuck? What? Why did I agree to come? Wow. Why did I agree to come here? But then you know as it, and I, I said to myself, I'm like, no matter what, I'm not going to miss a training session. Two hours in the day, have the luxury of going back and sleeping, and then two hours at night, so four hours a day for two weeks straight. Solid. Yeah, and and I remember as you're sort of going through that that runner's tunnel at 29 k's, you sort of go through a similar thing where, 
okay, you know, you do you do the twenty minute warm up and you do a bit of a bit of sort of movement on the pads, but then they make you do rounds. So sparring rounds. Oh, and that's exhausting. Sparring isn't so it? So sparring's exhausting. Yeah. And then after doing about, you used to fluctuate between eight to ten rounds of sparring. They were like, okay, cool. We're going to do two hundred kicks each side on the bag. So that's four hundred kicks total. And then after the four hundred kicks, you're like, oh, I'm fucking knackered. Thank God that was done. Um, they were like, cool. Now fifty knees each side. And I, I just remember sitting there and I'm like just kicking this bag, right? So it's like smack, smack, smack. And you're like, I'm I'm exhausted. I, I just, my body's just kicking. I'm running on empty and I'm just kicking. And there was a moment there where that pain turned into, into pure bliss because you're like, well, because you're just concentrating on kicking and getting through those numbers, you're not worried about, what's happening back home you're not yeah. worried about work you're not worried about what's happening outside mm. of anything any of those sort of small anxieties and, and that you just stop worrying about it and it's the most amazing bliss feeling and it goes from being in a really sort of i'm in a dark place and i don't know if i can push through this to being like no this is actually pretty good this is actually my mind concentrating on on one thing and no, nothing else yeah, matters nice. in that. Yeah, and it was um, definitely something that I miss. Yeah. And definitely something that I, I'd go back to. And, and, and it's, it's funny sometimes that experience. It's you, you've kind of got to push just push yourself physically, and mentally to that point. Yeah. Before you can see what it looks like. Yeah. And go actually. Hang on a second. This could be okay. There's something pure and something clear, you know, meditative or whatever. Yeah. And it's it's for each person to find where that space is for them. Yeah. At the time. It's yeah. not a one fits all. Yeah, if absolutely one fits right. All, it'll be a boring world. Oh, absolutely boring. right. Yeah. Absolutely right. Glenn, um, I'm conscious that we're nearly at nine PM. Mate, thank you so much. It's um always a pleasure to talk to you. I know you you and you and I always have chats outside of this. But um, it was good to, to actually get to touch on your experience and, and sort of see why you are the man you are today. So, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me along, George. Uh, I hope, you're, uh, hope your listeners find a little nugget of gold in there. But if not, it could just be an entertaining chat anyway. Yeah, exactly right. Hopefully. Perfect. Awesome. Mate, thank you so much. Oh, all good, buddy. All good. Uh, do, do you want-